I feel like storyline integrity was not their biggest concern during the filming of the Sean Claude Van Damme Street Fighter. Um, yeah, it was probably just you know making uh, what, what was his name, Ralph Julia, Ralph Julia, Ralph Julio. Julio's. Uh, you know, really trying to hone in on his acting ability for that film and really make the best use out of him. Hey, he's you know? he's really good. No, he is good. <laughs> I, I'm I'm just saying that maybe they should have used some of his goodness and not his terribleness. Are you kidding? He was the best part of that whole movie. Well, yeah, but he could have maybe. Yeah, I guess it doesn't matter how <laughs> like, how like. It doesn't matter how much talent you pump out of an actor. Like, it's not going to help a terrible script and other terrible supporting cast. Pretty much. Look at Twilight. Look at all of the prequels of Star Wars. Um, what else wait, who, wait, who who was talent in Twilight? Robert Pattinson. He's not bad. Yeah, like, outside of Twilight, he's it's pretty good. I mean, have you seen, uh, what was it, Good Times or um, a couple other ones? No. I I don't know. He was actually I I've never seen him in anything else or heard of him really. I kind of figured he was like um, uh, what's his name that played Anakin Skywalker in the original trilogy? Oh, Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen, where they just pulled him out of like a so- a soap opera movie or like a, a a teen drama, and that was like his his starring thing. Uh, for a second though, I thought you were going to tell me that like Dustin Hoffman had an appearance in Twilight, and that and that's how it was working out. Well, actually, you do have. Um... Several really big actors in the later sequels. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I don't. I don't know who. I don't care to look, but take my word for it. <laughs> yeah, I really okay. think it's one of the cases of like pretty good casts here and there. It's just nothing to work with script-wise. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what happens when the script is written by like an ultra-conservative, like Mormon stay-at-home mom who just kind of rewrites. I guess soap operas or not even like telenovelas you, into movies. You do know like 50 shades of gray is just like a twilight, um, fan fiction sex novel. That was, oh, is it really? Yeah. That was so quote unquote good that they wanted to make it into a, an actual published book, but they couldn't do to copyright. So he just changed. She just changed the, uh, characters. I had no idea that was a thing. Yep. Dave, you're learning so much. I'm learning so much. And you you know who else is learning so much? No, you're cutting this. Am I cutting this? Or all, our, all of our listeners learning so much about no. the Twilight and Fifty Shades no. of Grey series? Nope. No, they're not? Nope. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you too, Nick. So, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode... Four. Somebody help me out with this. Four? Four of the Scream Lords, brought to you by the Screaming Brain. Uh, my name is David, and today, as always, I'm joined with my two co-hosts, uh, Tim Fenoya. Hey. And Nick Rivera. Kept you waiting, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in case you haven't listened to us before, uh, we are kind of a, a grab bag podcast of board games, card games, video games, movies, and pop culture. Uh, we will go through our weeks, talk about what has been kind of interesting us in pop culture, what we've been playing or watching recently. Uh, do a bit of news, and then go into a topic of the week. Um, so, to get started, um, you know, it's been a week since we talked on air. So, Tim, what what have you been up to this past week? Uh, in the past week, I haven't been doing a whole lot in terms of games and everything. It's been a lot of, as I said, travel and work. Um, so, I only actually been got home to start doing anything in the past day or two. 
So I've been watching a lot of movies while I've been traveling in the hotel rooms and whatnot. Um, some good, some bad, and some of them I'm going to eat my words on Maximum Overdrive that I talked about back in like episode one. It's been like a decade, so I decided to rewatch it because it popped up on Hulu for free. Actually, I don't dislike Maximum Overdrive. It is oh. the one we talked about uh, for anybody unfamiliar with the Stephen King one. Uh, where a meteor passes over the Earth and all these machines start gaining sentience and start uh, attacking the humans with uh, Emilio Estevez and um, some other actors and whatnot. And it's kind of super 80s, super hokey, and kind of fun as just like a mindless action movie to laugh at from the 80s. Um, So I guess I was a little harsh on Stephen King's first directing credit. See, and, and here I was I was hoping that it was going to be way worse than you remembered. No, I mean it's 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 bad. But at least it's bad to the point where you can laugh at it. Like people coming out of a diner with a rocket launcher to blow up a tractor trailer or um all sorts of things. Also I never realized the the guy who plays like the Bible salesman in Maximum Overdrive, who's the jerk that gets uh oft pretty early on is also the guy who plays the villain in Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Um, if anybody's seen The Last Dragon. I'm trying to remember it, but... It is uh... a... like um, So Barry Gordy um, was the, the record producer, I believe, or he was super involved with like the whole Motown thing and everything, and he ended up putting money up to create Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, back in the 80s, and it was pretty much like a 80s um, blaxploitation kung fu movie where Bruce Leroy uh, and his family own a restaurant, and he knows kung fu and um, and ends up getting involved in like a record producer's deal with some woman. And it's, if you ever get a chance to check it out, it's fun, jaunt into the 80s. It's very hokey, but it's Mm, terrific. So it's like, you know, Black Dynamite, except without the satire? Um, yeah, not quite along those lines, but uh, it's still pretty, like, funny and kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's not as self-aware, it seems, because Black Dynamite just was a straight-up comedy the entire time. Yeah, but I always felt like Black Dynamite was, like, calling back to, you know, I... I I wasn't entirely familiar with the, the last dragon, but like calling back to that style of film and trying to like consciously make fun of it and just, you know, pull out how ridiculous those mo- types of movies were. Oh yeah. Like Black Dynamite definitely played to like all the tropes and whatnot and kind of parried it. Well, it was always very self-aware. Um, last dragon. I feel like it was funny and good, but it's not necessarily, they weren't like poking fun at or making fun of the, the other movies, it seems like they were more so trying to pay respects to them and kind of adopt it as their own, like, 80s version. Uh, I see. Um, now, uh, sorry, going back to uh, Maximum Overdrive a bit, there was always one thing in the movie that I always kind of wanted to figure out, but they never they never addressed it, and it was such, like, a big glaring point in the movie that I thought was going to play some kind of part. But, like, wasn't the, like, the and I hate to say this; these words don't make any sense. But like the the primary antagonist truck, 
<laughs> that had the green goblin face on it. Did that? Did anything ever happen with that? I always remember like one of the pri- like in my mind anyway. The primary images in that movie was the truck with a giant green goblin face, and I always expected there to be some kind of more connection. No, it's uh, just pretty much there as a. It was a truck used for like toy transport in the movie or something. Um, and for some reason it had the giant green goblin face and then the mighty duck man blows it up with a rocket launcher at the very end as like a last explosion before the end of the movie. Emilio Estevez. Yeah. Mighty <laughs> duck man himself. My, the mighty duck man himself. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel bad for him that that is probably his best known role. Oh no. I feel like there's a, a ton of pretty good ones out there. Have you ever seen, um, was it judgment night with, uh, Emilio, Cuba Gooding Jr., Jeremy Piven, Dennis Larry, Stephen Dorff. Like the four of them are buddies getting together to go out um, to see a boxing match. And I think it was like Vegas or L.A. or something like that. And they end up uh, taking a detour into like the downtown. And they end up witnessing a gang killing. And then Dennis Larry's gang is hunting them down throughout the city. And it's like a chase movie. I didn't think it. I remember you showed it to me. I, I wasn't a fan. I'm sorry. And I'm not terribly hurt. Poor Emilio Estevez. Or as he might be better known as Coach, uh, Coach Gordon Bombay. <laughs> yeah, I think overall that's still going to end up being his most well-known. But there, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Poor Emilio. I know. I wonder what he's doing now. Probably not much. Probably getting ready for that Mighty Ducks reboot. Oh, man. And it's like a new team with a new coach, and he has to like coach the new coach and yeah i don't think there's much of a story there yeah but i can see them bringing it back as like a 20 episode netflix series <laughs> i think you're giving the mighty ducks like storyline a little too much credit i don't think there's 20 episodes there i'll be honest i've never even seen the mighty ducks what do you mean you've never <laughs> seen the mighty ducks how dare you sir you're you're over there on your high horse talking about how emilio is so much better known for his other roles yep, primarily because mean. you never saw the movie he's known of known of known from i mean when i was growing up i never saw the mighty ducks the closest i saw to the mighty ducks was that like disney cartoon they did where the mighty ducks are these actual anthropomorphic duck crime fighters with their hockey based weaponry was that a thing? I don't. I didn't. I remember Darkwing Duck. Oh, but I didn't yeah, know. It's, it, it's a thing. Oh, I, I might have to watch this now. They had to cash in on the whole turtle freight craze, so. Oh, I do remember this now. Yeah, I just needed to see the logo. Yeah, it was kind of like. Um, I mean, you know, it was another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, or as I like to say, it, it was another Biker Mice from Mars. I I didn't mind Biker Mice from Mars back in the day. No, I thought it was the best of them. I I don't know why. The turtles stayed around, but the biker mice didn't. Or uh, what was the other one? SWAT cats. Oh, my sweet, that? my sweet summer child. <laughs> That's true. SWAT, SWAT cats was great. Street sharks was amazing. <laughs> uh, I mean, come on! They ate chili dogs instead of pizza. And it, I remember in the pilot, they actually call they, they actually like call out the turtles by being like, "Oh, ew, pizza." Uh, it was great. Well, you know, it's a great nostalgia hit, but. I'm a Turtles fan, and uh, I did have the Street Shark toys. I remember having that. I mean, they're good toys, and they were. It was fun, but I don't know. Just you might you might even say they were jawsome. Wasn't that their tagline? Yes, yes it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> 
I didn't just think about that right now, Tim. I mean, you get, you know, I, I have, I have good jokes, but I mean, I can't come up with that. <laughs> that was focus group tested. It was, yeah. I know a lot of we the shows that are like now that we're mentioning all these old cartoon shows. Aren't they, uh, Nick? Aren't they doing the all the Nickelodeon ones on Verve now? Mm-hmm. That's my segment. Don't roll into it. I was giving <laughs> you a segue organically. We're still on your section of the what did we do this week? <laughs> I will get to my stuff in a moment. <laughs> I actually, I actually haven't subscribed to that yet, and I was going to talk about. It. I'm excited to to watch it, but that's pretty much it because it's just our old Angry Beavers is on it. Is it really? It is, and I don't. Oh, I'm man. hoping it's in HD, but we'll see. I get. I, uh, I remember it was on Netflix for a short period of time, but it was it wasn't HD. Yeah, I'm. I get paid tomorrow, so I'm gonna re-up Verve just so I can have that. Oh, I know there the seasons are on sale digitally on Amazon, but I also don't know if that's HD or not. Also, they have uh, Nick Arcade on there. Oh, that's classic. So uh, Sarah and I we started rewatching Nick Arcade like she had never seen it, and I haven't seen it since I was like. I don't know, elementary school. And um, they are just as, well, they're just as I remember, as far as everybody's terrible at, like, Metal Slug and everybody's terrible at Battletoads and all these games. And the last, like, VR thing that they do on it every time where it's, like, Battle of the Wizard is always laughable. But it was a blast when it was back in the 90s. In hindsight, knowing what they had to go through to fight that wizard, I see why it's hard. It's not like the Shrine of the Silver Monkey where I I still to this day don't get why you can't assemble a three-piece monkey, head, body, bottom, and that's that's it. It's not like they have to assemble the arms and figure out where the tail goes. It's goddamn three parts. It's not that hard. I feel like the, the Silver Monkey deal was probably they get told... We either need to add more time, or you don't need to win this. Well, no, it's it's not even that. It's just they're timed so heavily on it that it is tough for them to complete it right then and there under the pressure. But just by like the the second season, they had how many seasons were there? There's at least what, a couple of them, right? It's got to be a bunch. I mean, it, it went. I mean. Saying it goes full syndication doesn't really mean much on Nickelodeon. It's three seasons. Um, so you mean to tell me, all right, the first season I get, it's new. No one knows about it yet. That's fine. But by season two, to tell me that you've never watched this show to at least figure out how to assemble a plastic monkey. It doesn't even look plastic. It looked like it was made out of foam or whatever, like prop making foam that they use in those shows. I like how you have shows like Ninja Warrior where they have the guys that are training that build the entire obstacle course themselves at home to train on. And then you have these kids that it's like after three seasons, they get to the Silver Monkey and they don't know which part to put into where. No I mean, no tests at home, maybe. No going I mean, back and watching the, <laughs> the reruns. Maybe they just grab random kids who had never seen the show before. It's just like... They're, they're, they're just, like, getting people in line at Nickelodeon Studios. Then, like, the kids are like, oh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to see a live show. And then they're like, hey, have you ever heard of Legends of the Hidden Temple? And they're like, no. Great, you're a contestant. I feel like that might have been a lot of the, the shows back then. Because when we were watching Nick Arcade, the kids seemed, like, surprised at 
this is going to be Sonic the Hedgehog. And they're like, what? What's Sonic? Yeah, and it's like, obviously, you probably were just at Nickelodeon Studios, and they decided to um, just see if you wanted to join the show. Yeah, I mean, the number of, like, uh, live, not live shows, but, like, uh, game shows that they did at Nickelodeon, I mean, you would imagine they'd have to just, like, start pulling people, like... They, they they can't have a real like application process or anything. It's just like, you know, oh hey, come see the show live, and then we'll grab random people from the line to to participate. Yeah. Plus, it's um, not like something you can really plan on that. Oh, I'll submit an application, and oh, you got pulled. You're going to be on Nick Arcade. So now your family has to take a vacation down to like Orlando on a whim. Yeah, it's not like the money is super worth it. I mean, and you're just a kid, so it's not like you have the funds. Well, yeah, you win is what like Hush Puppies and Moon Boots. Yeah, I was going to say the first episode of Nick Arcade, the things you win are, I think, like a pair of light-up sketchers or something. And then the second prize was a set of encyclopedias. Oh, um, oh. we were, we were like, channel surfing the other day, and they did remake um, Double Dare. The prize was a 3D printer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's on brand, right? Pretty much. Like, I saw that. I'm like, yo, I want to be on Double Dare. Uh, Double Dare, I thought was like the coolest. It always reminded me of like when you you're on a road trip and you drive by like that like really really good miniature golf course where like all of the holes have like these really ornate stuff on it. All of the like physical challenges, like when you had to get the the flag out of like the shark's mouth or something, it always reminded me of those. I don't know why. I know um, a lot of the shows that like Double Dare and whatnot that they brought back. I know Phil Moore, the host of Nick Arcade, had a like a GoFundMe type deal uh, for a while to raise funds to bring back like a Nick Arcade type thing. Um, but since mm-hmm. it wouldn't be with Nickelodeon, they were looking to do like modern games. So you would go on and it would end up being like Overwatch and other stuff. Um, and then the like the end one would end up being like an actual VR game that you would have to take part in, which I guess it didn't end up getting off the ground. But it, I would end up watching if they brought back Nick Arcade with all kind of modern stuff for it or at least even if it's not necessarily modern bring back some of the retro or old school stuff just not all the the c-list speaking of vr i read today um japan is getting like that thing that you did um <laughs> tim where you did the star wars vr thing not on this recording <laughs> you remember that the oh, thing yeah. you did yeah out in um California, I think it was at the the Burbank um, Mall when we were out there. Uh, one of our friends, Dean, um, Laura, and I, we all went out there and ended up doing the Void, which was the Star Wars VR game, which actually was really cool. Um, it's the full like headset. You get the, um, the rifle, you get everything else, and then you actually go through kind of. They have it like a, an obstacle type thing, so you can actually you end up like walking up steps you end up like going down and going through like what feels like elevators and stuff like that um and then they have all the fans going the heaters going so when you end up going outside and you're taking like a vehicle across to the other side you actually feel air blowing on you and then you like get near lava and you feel the heat and everything so it was a super cool experience i heard that i guess they're taking it out or something or it's getting replaced by Ghostbusters. I think um, I'm pretty sure it might have been Sarah that mentioned that it's going to end up getting replaced by Ghostbusters. 
or actually I apologize. I think it might have been uh, Lauren Dean that told me as soon as they actually live there. Um, so I guess they're replacing it with a Ghostbusters VR now that's going to end up being pretty much the same thing, except now you have proton packs. Uh, I remember uh, I was reading a while back that they did have a Ghostbusters one set up in, I can't remember where it was, but in, uh, in in Times Square, one of the buildings there that was supposed to be really, really good, including they had a whole um, outside of a skyscraper ledge walking section where you were basically on a like, you know, an eight inch wide like ledge and you had to inch your way along it. That was apparently supposed to be terrifying and really I don't know, a really strange sensation. It messes where, with like, you. I've been in a yeah. like, VR situation like that. You're on a narrow catwalk, and you look over, and you're looking down on, like, a lava pit. Like, you know you're just standing in a single room with no kind of thing in the floor, but that still doesn't stop you from, like, having that mental freak out. Oh, yeah, especially, like, when you can feel the corners of the ledge you're supposedly on. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I gotta imagine that messes with you. But um, the whole... Thing with it, I heard on um, today actually that Japan is making one of those, but for a Metal Gear Solid themed VR mission, oh. where you actually have to stealth. I don't even think it's VR. I think it's more of like an escape the room, but same kind of concept. You have to um, stay out of the eyesight of guards. You get a gun, a vest that lights up and like vibrates if you get shot, and then um, the more you you succeed. The whole thing takes maybe about 45 minutes to do, but every single time you die, you lose time. And uh, in order for you to f- successfully like beat the mission in like one go, you just you can't get caught. But it's oh, only that's in Jap- yeah, it's only in Japan only, which kind of sucks. But yeah, I like th- I like the idea of them trying to make like the escape room experience more game like. Mm. Uh, and kind of just like go more towards the extreme with you know rather than just puzzle solving and kind of social deduction add some actual game mechanics which also finds that balance of laser tag which i always found was severely lacking in actual penalties Mm. Um, because like i found as soon as i got older and when i say older i mean like high school there was a very clear optimal way to play laser tag and it was just walk into their base and shoot it because the point distribution made more sense just to shoot their base and not care if you got shot. Later on, though, that they, they tweaked with our childhood laser tag thing. Oh, did they? Yeah, in the beginning, like when we were kids, yeah, it was, you know, shoot players. You get bonus points for bases, but not nearly enough. And then in the new one, when they revamped it, then that's when it was like, just shoot, just shoot the base, ignore the players. Yeah, I remember, I remember that happening one time when I went. And there was, like, a slightly older guy who was just in our base shooting it. And I was, like, trying to shoot him. And, I, w- I mean, I was shooting him, and he was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I mean, first of all, that's not even fun. Why? Why, why would you do that? Why do you go to laser tag? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to laser tag just to win and get crazy high scores. I, uh, that, well, I, that's, that's how some people sleep at night. I guess. Considering even back then, like... There wasn't even like a, or maybe there was a scoreboard, but it was just like a receipt that printed off. That was how well you did. Yep. Um, I'm not going to say I don't miss laser tag because I do, but I I just wish there was a bit more of a, a game element to it. I miss our childhood laser tag because when we were teenagers, it did suck. Yeah. I mean, 
I guess as you get older, it's it's just play paintball instead, really. Uh, so sorry, Tim. We kind of hijacked your week. So that was maximum oh. overdrive. <laughs> Sometimes I go back and I hear these, like the episodes weeks after or whatever, and I just wonder, wait, how how did we end up there? And then I look at the show notes and don't know where the anything happened. Like I, I don't know why I have show notes. So the so we revisited maximum overdrive. If you haven't seen it, it's worth watching at some point. If you've already seen it, you know exactly what it is. Um, the other one that I ended up watching was a movie called Tragedy Girls, um, which if you haven't seen it, it's a very dark comedy where the actress who played uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead in the Deadpool movies is one of the leads in it. It's two high school girls end up... Um, finding a like they track down a serial killer that's loose in their town and they end up capturing him and they created like a blog and whatnot to try to get famous off all the killings in town so they decide they're going to continue doing the killings themselves in town to continue drumming up like followers and visitors to their website and it just kind of goes down the rabbit hole from there of them just doing more and more stuff to end up getting kind of fame off of their blog and everything. Um, it has a bunch of other actors in it. Like it has, um, I think his name, Josh Hutcherson from the hunger game movies. Uh, the one who plays PETA, it has Craig Robinson, um, from like, this is the end and a bunch of other stuff. So it has like a, a bunch of random people in it and it's pretty funny, just super dark. Um, it's kind of like if you took Heather's and then decided Heather's didn't go far enough. Um, so you just updated it for like a social media generation. Uh, Resident Evil Vendetta. I just rewatched, or well, rewatched, I rewatched it for the first time the other day. <laughs> um, it's another CGI Resident Evil movie. They ended up doing Nick. What was the other one at the, the airport? The Resident Dege- Evil one? Degeneration, but that was the first one. Yeah. They made like three or four. I don't know which one you watched, but I want to watch it after seeing like hearing stuff that was going on on your screen. Yeah, pretty much uh, Resident Evil Vendetta. It's with Leon and Chris. Spoilers. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it the the action and everything in it plays exactly like one of the Resident Evil games for the most part. So everything's kind of over the top and ridiculous, but still kind of keeping to what I would expect from a Resident Evil game picture more along the lines of like Resident Evil 6 um, but it was actually pretty fun if you either like Resident Evil but you weren't a fan of like the live action ones or you like Resident Evil and you just wanted to be able to watch the game without actually having to play it Resident Evil Vendetta is a pretty good choice on it uh, I would definitely check it out if you like the Resident Evil games it's just fun and it's kind of over the top action I, was saying, I don't think I actually have, I, I saw the uh the the Resident Evil CG um, CGI CG uh, airport one uh, and I think I remembered liking it. I feel like it's been forever since I saw it. It has, and been. that it, was that was a blockbuster movie for us. Was it really? Because I, I was trying to remember. Because I felt like I saw it with you, or you told me to watch it. I can't remember. Um, but I think I remember liking it. I do like that it's now Chris and Leon, like the bromance team. Um, Tim, is it like is it? Resident Evil 5 jacked Chris or is it like normal Chris or is it Resident Evil 7 Chris 
Um, it's more along the lines of like Resident Evil Seven, Chris, because he's not like super jacked, um, but he does like I mean he throws guys around, but it's not like he's a monster in the the movie. Although Leon somehow uses a motorcycle as his main weapon, even though he has a pistol. So if you end Wait, up watch, does... if you end up watching it, it's you'll kind of see what I mean. You'll need to see it. Is it is it like in Devil May Cry Five where Dante takes his motorcycle and he splits it in half and it's two like motorcycle great swords? This he somehow gets involved in melee combat using his motorcycle, and then he like uses his motorcycle as a missile, and like so ninety percent of the movie, every scene Leon's in, it's usually him on his motorcycle and he fights guys while still on his motorcycle. That's so weird. It's like somebody came up with a toy idea and they were really trying to push it home for the kids. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to keep drawing parallels between this Leon and Dante from Devil May Cry. And I, I've, in my head, I don't know why, but I feel like that makes sense. That, like, Leon is just mild-mannered Dante. I could definitely see that. Yeah, right? They, they kind of have the same hairstyle, too. He just dyed white for Dante. I wouldn't mind that as a crossover surprised we didn't go off on a tangent on that one so we're resident evil vendetta <laughs> dave do you want to play the t- tabletop game when it comes out um maybe i'm hesitant just because of how the dark souls game came out i so I, I play it i just i don't i won't buy it if no one's gonna play it i want to get <laughs> at least like three games out of it i think i'd have to i think i'd have to look at it a bit more Especially since I had only heard about it when I found out that the um, um, was it a Horizon Zero Dawn game was coming out. So I, I, I was completely, I completely missed the uh, the announcement on that game. Mm. So I might look, I, I might look into it if I think it looks good. I might be down. Um, I will I will have to see, but I'm initially initially hesitant. Yeah. So that is the other one. Resident Evil Vendetta. Um, <laughs> I feel like I spent my entire week watching movies only because I haven't had a chance to play any games. Um, uh, another one I'm getting through all like my horror movies leading up to Halloween still every week. So one of the other ones that I ended up checking out is Terrifier that is now on Netflix. Um, if anybody has ever seen the movie All Hallows Eve, they will be familiar with kind of the, the characters and whatnot. Um, Terrifier... Originally in All Hallows Eve, it was like an anthology movie, but one of the villains in it from one of the segments ended up, um, was part of like a short film, and then they ended up getting the uh, green light to make it into a full-length film uh, called Art the Clown. Art the Clown itself is kind of like a cool makeup job and really well acted. Everything's like very pantomime, but he's like a terrifying serial killer clown and everything. The movie itself, I did not enjoy at all. I actually kind of hated it. Um, oh, man. <laughs> I, usually, I don't hate a lot of movies. Uh, usually it's like Terrifier, like a cool character. I feel like it's in a different hands. It would be kind of like a, a fun project. But the entire thing was just like one excuse after another just so they can do like really grotesque gore effects. Um, I um I I don't mean to interrupt, but <clears throat> Rachel and I were gonna red box something the other day, and then she had mentioned that she wanted a horror movie. 
this one is um, one of the red box ones, and um, they all flat out said, "Don't bother." Yeah, pretty much. Wait, uh, what do you mean? Like, don't don't rent it. It's a waste of your time and money. Uh, well, I see. Like terrible reviews. Uh. Yeah, like if you really love gore and that's pretty much it, then sure, go nuts, go for it. Um, but aside from that, it's like the guy who made it, the director and writer and whatnot, he is a special effects guy. So all everything in the movie is pretty much just uh, two girls are leaving like a Halloween party or whatever the case is, and they end up getting stalked by the clown. And then it's just them getting trapped and him just having a reason to like have all of these horrific kill scenes one after the other. I feel like in other stuff, like Tragedy Girls also has gore in it, but I feel like it's more about the the storyline and whatnot. So it never really seems terribly malicious, whereas Terrifier just, that's all it is. And you know that's the entire intent is just make this super kind of dark and gory as possible. It kind of killed it for me. I was not a fan of it. Um but if they ever decide to take the guy who played Art the Clown and take that makeup and put it into something good, I am all for it. Oh, that's kind of disappointing that it just ended up being a gore fest. Yeah, which, I mean, like, I've seen, like, I don't mind the gore in the movies sometimes, depending on the movie. But when it's something that's just, it seems super malicious somehow, when it's more so, like, torture than just, like, a Jason movie or something. I don't know. For some reason, in my head, I see it as two different things. Whereas Terrifier just seems kind of mean spirited. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that's the one thing I kind of try to avoid. I mean, I I love horror movies that are either ranking like an eight, where it's like, oh, for, you know, that was that was pretty good and some interesting storytelling, or if it's a one, where it's just dumb and hacky and kind of stupid, but still kind of fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that I mean that's like a subgenre of horror. That seems to, I mean, some people really enjoy it. I mean, looking at all of the, the, the hostile movies or the later Saw movies, not so much the, you know, like the first one, even the second one had some story to it. Um, but it seems to be a subgenre that does rate well. So, you know, I can understand why they got production budget for it. But yeah, I feel like that's really niche. And yeah, I mean, I'll, I, you know, certainly from your review and a bunch of, you know, from what Nick was saying that. Everyone kind of panned it. Yeah, I probably won't be watching it. Yeah, so if you ever have time and you have an hour and a half to kill and you want to punish yourself, watch it. Um, Otherwise, if you don't, uh, your life will not be poor for it if you skip it. The only game I've actually played this week that I actually ended up getting yesterday is, if you've seen on Steam Lovecraft's Untold Stories, uh, it ended up... I think it was on sale or something like that the other day on Steam. It's kind of like a um, roguelike game. You just end up playing different characters. Like right now, the only one I've unlocked is like a detective. And it's just going through different parts of like a mansion and then going through kind of all these different um, very Lovecraftian aesthetic levels. And you're just kind of taking out cultists, taking out monsters, and it's just kind of finding items, keys to unlock things, um, getting different equipment and whatnot on your character. It feels very um, almost if they ended up making like a an Enter the Gungeon style game with Lovecraft, but less focus on just running around crazy and more on kind of 
lore based. Um, it's a lot of like reading things and you get to, depending on the character, if you end up looking at like a statue, if you're the detective, you'll get an option rather than just like pick it up and drop it, leave it alone. You'll have like a detective option that'll then be inspect something on it or something like that. So depending on your class, it'll give you some other kind of interaction options, which is kind of cool, but it's don't know how to feel about it just yet. I only ended up getting to like, say the second level only because I ended up dying a couple times. The combat is a little bit faster paced than I would like. So you end up running into a room and all of a sudden you have like four cultists running at you super fast. And the shooting in the system is you use the right stick if in the event that you're using a controller. Otherwise, if you're using your mouse, you use the mouse. But it's just like you use the right stick pointed in a direction and then just fires in that direction automatically. Um, so it's not great at aiming so it's just a lot of like running in circles and then just kind of firing behind you every so often um but overall i mean it's a cool aesthetic and for like 10 bucks it's not bad yeah i see it's still an early access so i mean that might be some stuff that's still being ironed out but it looks really really cool and yeah it kind of mixes that like that uh i mean looks anyway the like twin stick shooter with a little bit more rpg-ish just in yeah. terms of like storytelling yeah we're at yeah. least like it the shooting and whatnot kind of reminded me of like something like enter the gungeon um mm-hmm. but as far as the actual gameplay and everything it just seems a little bit more advanced even if it's not necessarily like not to say enter the gungeons not kind of put together well it's just like the lovecraft's untold stories it's you end up being able to like look at things you pick up books you kind of read through things so it just adds a little bit more of a, a lower dump to it yeah i mean I, I think with enter the gungeon you know especially just going by the name it's you know in, in terms of storytelling or really anything like that it's very light-handed when really they were just trying to go for a, like an intense combat system bullet hell kind of thing yeah which they did well yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I love Enter the Gungeon, um, even though I'm terrible at those style games. But, I mean, it's it's you know put together very well. It's a really, really tight shooting and dodging mechanic with a lot of kind of magic pixel saves, uh, kind of like, um, you know, classic shmup shooters. Um, st- yeah, this looks, this looks really cool. I still haven't beaten it. Oh, Enter the Gungeon? Yeah, gonna, yeah, it's, I'm, it's hard. I'm going to check this one out, though. Yeah, it looks cool. I mean, I'm sad that it's an early access. I mean, I, I get why people, you know, certain publishers go early access. Um, but I, I'd almost rather wait until they do a full release, which I know isn't helpful for them. But yeah, I'd that's, rather just that's, play that's the what's the, thing. That's what's deterring me from it. Mm, I, re- yeah. I really don't like early access. Yeah, I feel like too many things these days are early access that... I end up putting money towards and then I either never see any return on it. Like there's games that I ended up doing for early access that they, they, they just go on for like a year or a year and a half. And then all of a sudden you just see like, Oh, they're not around anymore. And then they, I, there was one game I ended up um, buying and then I played it briefly and it was still pretty buggy. So then I was waiting until they ended up doing updates to it. And then like a year later, they, I ended up finding a different game in my steam library. And then I checked the news on it and they're like, Oh yeah, by the way, we decided to just stop producing the other game and we got rid of it. So in exchange for your money, we're giving you a different game here. So this is another oh. one we're working on. So here's this game. 
was like, oh, cool. So you got rid of the space RPG, and now you just gave me like a team-based shooter. So I'm I'm always going to end up probably still supporting the the early release if it's something that I feel like will actually be good or I actually kind of have some hopes for. But I go into all of them expecting not to get anything. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's sad how many games have been turned off by them being in early access. Um, I mean, there's ones I've looked at, you know, a year or more ago, and they're still in early access. Um, I mean, a lot of them tend to be, like, building games. Uh, like, there's a... Uh, I think it's a sailing simulator where you can build your own ship from, like, the, the ground up. Um, and, you know, it's it's a bit more cartoony, so you're not, like, building realistic like sailing vessels uh but it looked really interesting the physics engine seemed really neat but i mean it's still an early access and i feel like it's one of those things where since it's based around you know building ships and going sailing i feel like if i got it there isn't much of a game there yet and it's probably just the building mechanic kind of like um uh tim i'm trying to remember that space engineers uh, build space engineers yeah exactly where they're I don't even know if there's still any game to it. Did you guys follow up on it at all? No. Uh, I never really kept track of it. I know shortly after we ended up finding that, I ended up finding Ark and then just getting lost over in Ark for a while. But I think my brother has been keeping up to date on it. If he ever either joins the podcast or if you ever go drag him out of his apartment. I might have to. I can go get him right now. Maybe I'll text him. (laughs) You should. I forgot. You can do that. I could. Just, where are you? I'll just stand outside his door with my Batman voice. With, with a microphone and ask him to speak on Space Engineers for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's like, all right, thank you. See you. <laughs> it's just, it's like, uh, it's like our live any interview that's pre-recorded like a day and a half ahead of time. You know, I mean, I can always just add it in post, but it feels better somehow just running over there and getting an interview. <laughs> Still do that, though. Don't change anything. What? Just record it just, ahead just, of time. Get that deer I'll in just, the headlights. I'll just, I'll, I'll just have my Yeti like wrapped around my neck with like two laptops holding in my hands, just like standing out in the hallway. Where are you? It's like we're eating dinner. Like, <laughs> I was I was trying to set myself up for a uh, a pray to me joke, but I just couldn't figure out how to get there. Banging <laughs> on his window. Speak to the life of early access games. <laughs> Dave, I said oh. no. Come on, do it. Dave, I swear to God. Swear to me. <laughs> <laughs> See, there we go. Uh, That's why you pay him. <laughs> Wait, who do I pay? Me. You don't pay Nick? Invoices in the mail. <laughs> okay. Just as soon as we get sponsored. Are we sponsored by the Screaming Brain? Uh, they pay our hosting. Oh, so we're halfway there. Next, we'll need uh, to... we need ZipRecruiter and HelloFresh. It's true. Or I mean, we we can go smaller than that, you know. But Sarah and I play this we'll ongoing game with. We listen to a lot of podcasts um, from driving and whatnot, so we play this ongoing game of like podcast bingo because it always seems like it's the same five um, sponsors, and all of them it's like ZipRecruiter or like Stamps.com or HelloFresh or like all these other ones. So we try to keep track of our podcast, and then if they end up hitting like all five sponsors, it's podcast bingo. 
I don't know why there aren't more small, uh, like, sponsors. Like, I don't understand why it's all these giant... I mean, I guess it makes sense if you're, like, a multinational company to, to go to podcasts just because of the wide viewer base. But I feel like there's a better market there. Or, like, that you, you could do a bit more with it. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the smaller ones are um, mainly coming off of, like, Patreon-based stuff anyway. Um, rather oh, than going for, like, true. sponsorship. But... I don't know, like yeah, I, I know sure. super successful ones that don't have any sponsors and don't do Patreon, ones that do Patreon and no sponsors, ones that do both. So it's wait, whatever gets you my the content I want on a, every week so I can listen to something on the way to work. Hmm. I feel like both seems weird. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. It feels strange to me. Uh-huh. Well, maybe one day we'll have to tackle that problem. Someday. But someday uh so, so that was lovecraft's games? untold oh, stories no I, I have i have no mobile minute this week i uh i was uh, playing i was playing the the dungeon maker actually i take it back uh i started playing <laughs> i always have mobile games i started playing um the naruto boruto thing on my tablet a couple weeks ago um and then i ended up like playing it briefly putting it away and then never coming back to it until um, a couple days ago when I was at my hotel and I ended up bringing it up. If anybody's familiar with some of kind of like the, the action RPG or like action um, games on tablets and on like handhelds uh, along the lines of like Marvel Future Fight or in this case the, uh, the Naruto game or some of the other ones, it's where you end up forming like a team of, it's usually like up to three or four people um, of different characters. It's kind of like a top-down view of different levels and then you control like your thumb just controls their movement on the left hand side and then on the right hand side you have like your basic attack and then your like three cooldown abilities or whatnot um that you're able to use so in the case of like naruto uh that game you can end up doing like your shadow clone jutsu you can do the rasengan you can do all sorts of stuff on the marvel side if you're playing that one it'll be like your captain america shield throw or um kind of any of those so it's it's kind of cool i mean it's Still, it's one of those games that it uses energy. Um, it's a lot of like, here, do a microtransaction and whatnot like that. But you can still play the game without it. And it's one of those things that I don't didn't get too, too into it. So it really doesn't affect me if I end up playing for like an hour or like a half hour or something like that and put it away. I don't really feel that need or that drive to buy like get 20 pulls off the loot boxes to try to get like a special edition Naruto or something like that. So, I mean, it's, if it's, uh, something that you're interested, like, um, content wise in terms of like, say Naruto or Marvel or any of those, uh, it's pretty fun to just kind of pick one up and just play around with it. And usually in the case of like Marvel future fight, it's pretty much the same thing. Um, but what I ended up doing is I used to play it a while back when it came out and then every so often, like every couple months, I end up going back to it. And as a thank you for coming back, they always end up giving you a bunch of free stuff in the game. So it's cool to just pick up like every three or four months just to see where they're at, what new characters they added, and then get a bunch of free stuff just for coming back. So that is my mobile minute with the Naruto Boruto game and Marvel Future Fight. So now that we've done it four weeks in a row, now I have to get music for it. That's, <laughs> it's going to have to happen. They need to come uh, out with it, more mobile games for me to play. I'm gonna have to start switching thousands? this over to uh, to my Switch or my DS. Although DS is on the way out. 
Yeah, really. DS is DS is getting pretty dated now. I'm surprised they're still uh, porting games over to it. Yeah, I know there was talk about like the kind of like the last round of games of the DS are going to be coming up in the next year or something like that. Because I mean, pretty I'm, much everything I'm, is going to be go the way of the Switch. I mean, I'm still holding on to my PSP, like hoping that you know we see some some more releases. But <laughs> Crisis Core Two. Oh man, it's coming! Even though they can't legally sell Crisis Core One anymore, they'll just do it uh, completely, mu- or they'll just ask you on the front cover, like, "Please mute this or play without yeah. headphones." Don't listen to any of the music that we no longer all in the license to. God, that was a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Nick, how so about that's you? My, that's wow. my week. Oh, I'm just j- gun jumping, jumping, jumping all the guns. Enter the gun jumper. So, Nick, what do you do this week? I stained my deck. That was <laughs> what kind of what kind of stain did you use? Was it was a game themed stain? <clears throat> it was uh like a redwood. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty. That's kind of like the Brian. It's kind of like the Brian Jacques novels, right? We could we can transition into those. Who wants to talk about uh, Redwall and Mouseguard? The name I haven't heard in a long, long, very long time. <laughs> oh, those were so good. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Nick. Uh, we played. Um, um, I I hated it. What was it? Last night on Earth. I did not. I did not like it. We try to do a game night like once a week, but you know mm-hmm. it's tough just getting all the people over sometimes. But they brought over Last Night on Earth. And I I don't want to ever play that again. It was just so. Have you played it? Uh, I have not played Last Night on Earth, but that same publisher put out several versions of that game uh, with different um, kind of different theming and, and slight variations on it. Um, so I haven't played that one, but I played. I'm trying to remember what it is uh might take me a second but you can you can go ahead uh yeah because i'm not too familiar with this one it was just all dice rolls and it didn't seem like balanced because it was um humans versus zombies and with four people playing there's two teams so you have, you know, I played as two humans, Rachel played as two humans, and then the people we had over, they played as um, all the zombies. And they were able to control seven each. So <clears throat> they didn't really hold, they didn't really go easy on us for learning how to play the game. Hmm. But on top of that, it just was kind of, the way that the whole system worked is... Um, See if I remember. I have a really repressive memory on things I don't like. So, if you're the zombie and then I'm the human, no matter what, you have to... um, The zombie always has to approach the human space, wherever the, you know, that player is. They always have to attack, which is, you know, obviously the point of the game. So, if I attack you, we roll off, and then no matter what, you always get one dice. I, on the other hand, can have um, up to however many dice. By default, I think I get two. And then if I have weapons, I can have more than that. So <clears throat> it's whoever beats who. So if I roll a four and you roll a five, I lose that fight and I take damage. Whereas for me to kill you, 
I have to roll higher than you, and I have to roll doubles. Oh. Yeah. That really sucked. It just didn't seem balanced at all, because without the ability to roll doubles, and it's just, you know, just sheer luck, and making sure that you got the doubles, we have to kill 15 zombies before the end of, like, I think 10 or 12 rounds. And... I got a chainsaw on, like, my first turn. I'm like, oh, this is great. And they didn't go easy on us. So pretty much I got to use the chainsaw once, which is just I don't need to roll doubles. As long as I win the, the roll-off, I the zombie's dead. So after, like, killing two of them, their next turn, they threw down a wep- uh, thing that made me drop the weapon. Like, well, that sucks. And then I got kill- taken out by, like, turn three, I think. And as long as two people are knocked out, doesn't matter if it's me or the other player or like two of me, in which case I died twice. It was uh, not really. I, I don't want to play it again. <laughs> yeah, that sounds that sounds kind of rough. Um, and so the 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 game by uh, was it Flying Frog Productions mm-hmm. that I played was Fortune and Glory, which I thought was more similar to Last Night on Earth than I thought. Um, just because they have very similar aesthetic, because both games used like photos of actors in costume. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, I thought that you know, was I thought that was kind of cool. I did like that. Yeah, it's different, and it's you know they they kind of owned that look. Mm. Um, but it it made me think that the two games were basically the same with a different theme, uh, which is not so. Uh, although to be fair, I didn't really I didn't like Fortune and Glory that much either, but. Um, yeah, it's definitely not, not similar to Last Night on Earth. Uh, yeah, that's, that's really kind of old school dice rolling mechanics. It came out in um, like 2006, I think. So it kind of makes yeah. sense. But it was still yeah. like, a little infuriating that it was just really tough. Because on paper, it brought me back to Warhammer a little bit. Like, oh, on paper, these guys are going to be awesome. And then you actually do the real dice rolls, and you realize that yeah, you know, on paper is one thing, but actually doing the actually doing the rolls are a whole different story. Right, right. Oh, well, that, that is disappointing, um, especially since it you know it does look like it actually has a pretty good rating on Board Game Beak. It does have a seven with thirteen thousand ratings. Uh, um, I I didn't like it. I don't know. Were they all no zombies? no I. What? <laughs> Everyone played as zombies. All the zombie players really enjoyed it. Oh yeah, pretty much. They they mm. insisted that like, well, you know, that's just the way that the roles happen to be this time around. There are times where the zombies will get destroyed, and it's just a matter of also you pick up items, and depending on how well the uh, your drawing skills are for that game. You'll either get a bunch of the weapons that you need, or in my case, I didn't. So it really detracted from my first time experience. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's tough playing a game that's that random. I mean, if you were looking for just like a really thematic, just slugfest kind of who cares kind of game, I don't mind randomness too much. Um, but I guess especially if the other two players were taking it seriously, that makes it kind of hard. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. So let's see what else was there. Um, in terms of games, that's the only thing that we played. Well, no. We actually played um, Mansions of Madness, our favorite fantasy flight game. 
Ooh, I was just recently thinking about revisiting that. It's still fun. I do, I do like it. We may bash it a lot, but it is actually a favorite. It's just one of those. I love it so much. I, I hate it. Mm. Like a, I don't know, like brotherly love. Like oh, it pisses you off sometimes, but it's still, uh, you still like it. Um, now, how how far are you in it? Well, we always we do like a random mission. Um, we had, oh, okay. We, we had to put it away. Um, the game recommendations are not accurate. So it says, um, oh, it's just two hours. Like, no, that's if you are 100% focused and every single turn you knock out in, like, less than two minutes. Oh, yeah, that never. That's never right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we a wee bit of a time crunch when it came to uh, the very end of... We're, like, three quarters or so through the mission. Uh, so I've been trying to play them kind of in order. Um, although I am kind of stuck. Like, I only have two missions left. Uh, the third mission we've lost a couple of times. And I got kind of frustrated with it, which is why I haven't taken out in a while. Um, and then I have the, like, six-hour mission, which is probably going to take quite a bit longer than that. Six hours? I don't remember that one. Yeah, it's... um. Oh, I'm trying to remember. I, th- I think I think it's the hardest difficulty one. Um, I can't remember offhand. Um, I think it's six hours. It was four or six hours. I know it was like crazy long. Maybe it was four. Yeah. Um, but I've I've also been looking at the expansion that came out for it, which added more monsters, more tiles, new investigators, and then I think three new scenarios. Um, I have one of even. Oh, do you have one of the uh, expansions? Yeah, Streets of Arkham. Oh, okay. Um, I thought about picking it up, but until I kind of, I don't know, get to a place where I, I'm really into it again, I've kind of held off. I can see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, just because it, it kind of it rubbed me the wrong way and the last couple times I played it, just because some of the, the difficulty seemed kind of artificial. Um, in the way monsters appeal, appeared or like where things were uh, and it made it kind of frustrating but um, I'd definitely be down to try it again I feel like depends on the mission some of them are a lot more fun than others mm. that's true so when you guys had to pack it up were you, were you winning do you think uh, it doesn't that mission didn't work that way oh okay um what were we doing? We had to figure out why monsters were showing up, and we did. And um, that's just, that's actually the pretty much where we stopped. I was gonna say because it was it's a going... really long, involved process of figuring out where the monsters were coming from. And then now that we have figured out where the monsters are coming from, like that's we have to just kind of like close the gate. Oh, okay, I was gonna ask like, were you going to do anything about said monsters? Or it's just one of those like, oh, there's the monsters. Like, good, all right. Yeah, because we get a. It's an invitation to. Um, I never remember the name of the damn college. Oh, Arkham. No, there's a. Oh, uh, Mescatonic. That's it. Yeah, we get invited to the college, and um, by the one of the head professors, and she says that there's crazy things happening. Surprise, surprise for Lovecraft stuff. Mm. And uh, we need your help. And then we go there. And um, she's brewing a potion that we need to help with. All the while, monsters are spawning, and um, 
just trying to delegate having them under control and still manage to find all of the missing ingredients to the potion. And we figured out all the clues as to what is conjuring all of the monsters to come into the uh, the college. And that's that's pretty much it. So that's, that's where we ended up having to break off. Because mind you, this was like a five... It should have been a two-hour, and it ended up becoming like a four-and-a-half-hour game. Oh, man. Yeah, I've had them run like a half hour to an hour long, but I guess also since I primarily play it with two players, yeah, if you're playing with a, like a full four, that's got to be rough. So one of the things, too, that I've decided um, as a house rule, especially, well, certain games, too, not all of them, but no cell phones. Yes, that yeah, you have to. Because a couple of the times, especially with this one, it's just like side conversations. It's hard not to, you know, I don't want to be the the dick that's like, no, you can't talk about, you know, non-game related stuff. But just for a game this long, it's just, ugh, you need to be able to focus. In certain games, it really does help a lot more. Like we started to do the no cell phone thing with um, Trail on the House on the Hill, and the game Mm -hmm. runs so much faster by having everyone paying attention at 100%. Because then you don't have to recap every turn about what the last person did because the person afterward isn't paying attention. And it does it does help quite a bit. Uh, you know, you brought up Betrayal House on the Hill. Have you seen there's a legacy version of it now? No. Oh. Uh, might be worth looking at. I haven't looked too much into it, but I'm kind of curious to play Betrayal if there's permanent changes from game to game. Tim got the um, one of the expansions, but I don't know about a legacy one. Yeah, the one I yeah, got the was leg- I think Widow's Walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, yeah, the, the the legacy one is essentially a brand new game that just how do I put it? But it's it's basically a brand new game that is Betrayal on House on the Hill, but with the mechan the, the legacy mechanic added to it, where there's now permanent changes to it. Which can't um, my expansion be a legacy one if I just rip up the cards as we use them? <laughs> I guess I guess technically yes, because then we could never do those things again. Or like you go into the book that has all the different endings and you just like black them out. <laughs> the thing I don't get though is like why destroy the cards? Just put them away. Put them in a plastic baggie and just say like destroyed on it. No, I mean, you certainly could. I mean, I think there's there's other things that are more... I, I mean, like playing Pandemic Legacy, when you're putting stickers on the board, it's not like I could not put the sticker and I, just keep it. I mean, you could always just laminate it and then... But then guess, you never I have the stickers. If you use up the stickers. It's true. I mean, I don't, I don't mind the whole putting stickers on the board and tearing things up. I think it's fine. Uh, especially since... Like with Pandemic Legacy, you're getting you know twelve to twenty plays out of it anyway. Which with most games, I'm I'm lucky to get like five or six plays out of it. Yeah, really. Um. So yeah. So at the end, of, like I'm just, like I've had Pandemic Legacy for like I don't know, like eight months, and I've only played it three times. So just because there's other things I want to play, and you know, board game time is kind of limited. I still want to finish Imperial Assault. Not with you guys. I mean, I have like a, a separate group. <laughs> Do you say not with us? Yeah, not not with you guys. Oh, I see how it is. <laughs> David and I'll make our own board game. Just because you just because you don't like co op games, Nick. What? 
I wanted to play it, and you're like, I'm getting tired of it. It's like the fifth time in a row. I'm like, well, it's expensive, and we're never going to play it otherwise. We played it... F- okay. For some context, in a weekend of gaming, the Friday night, we played it three times. Well, then, it's, a, uh, this- it's a long, continuous mission. <laughs> it's like deep play- it's like playing D&D. That's all. That's the best way to possibly put it. It's like playing D&D, except that it's a lot simplified. It's not as uh, it's a lot more short and concise. Right, yeah. there's no role playing. There could be. I guess that's true. There could be. You could absolutely insert it in there. And also I figure because each mission is like a different board, a different mission, different like objectives, it seems a lot different than if it were to be we're playing the same board game three times and it's like I don't know, clue or something. Well, actually, yeah, that, that, that's a bad one for the fact that Clue isn't going to be the same every time, but, like, something along those lines. Yeah, unlike Heavy Rain, right? Why, what's that game? <laughs> you mean the interactive movie Heavy Rain with, that stays the same every time you play it? Yeah, we had an episode one saying it was a game. Uh, that's probably, that's probably true at some point. So but. any listeners out there, if they end up checking their iTunes or Stitchers or wherever they get their <laughs> podcast, and all of a sudden you see episode one come down and go back up, download it and save it. That way you can compare it later to see what was edited out. So many things you don't even know. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, Nick, did you have something else you wanted to go over for your week? or did it, that? There is a Jurassic Park game that came out a while ago that i do want to pick up is that a video game or a board game it is a target exclusive god god damn you target stealing all the games (laughs) so it's um it's a one versus all kind of thing where um you have all the players playing is like muldoon grant the kids and then the other person playing is the dinosaurs, and each person has their own objective that they're trying to do specifically. I haven't spoiled the game. I kind of want to find out more once I buy it. But it looked Wait, interesting enough. So, oh, some oh the one versus all. So what the yeah, okay? I get it. I was like, wait, you have people playing as dinosaurs and people playing as the characters. How's that balance out? But I get it. Yeah, because the dinosaurs, it's just like three of them: the T Rex, the Raptor, and the Dilophosaurus. And then you have all the different meeples in different colors. <laughs> like, Malcolm is black, Hammond is white. <laughs> oh, God. I have to admit, I kind of, like, looking at pictures, I love the 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 very Catan-esque board of it. Just mm-hmm. Jurassic park fied Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in that. I want to pick it up uh, this week and give it a shot the next time we have a game night. But we have to finish the Mansions of Madness one first. They actually wanted to play tonight. I'm like, nope, I got my podcast. They're like, lame. I'm actually really not wanting to play the next round of that game. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so difficult because we had to pack it up a little bit just so we can, you know, Mm -hmm. use our dining room table. Oh, yeah. But it's such a pain to, like, pack it up and then, like, undo all of it. And I'm pretty sure there's only, like, maybe 20, 30 minutes left of gameplay. Even with the rate of which we play, I think there's only, like, half an hour left. Yeah, because it sounds like that you've solved the main problem of it, mm-hmm. and now it's just kind of like the, the the last minute rush kind of part of the the mission. Yep. Hmm. This looks cool, though. I could be down for this. Cool. I mean, I'm not usually a huge fan of one versus all. I usually prefer co ops, 
Um, At least I think it's one versus all, but it, that's what it kind of looks like to me. Because if it's not yeah. one versus all per se, it might just be that like the humans have their own separate objectives, but it, the dinosaurs just have the one. Could be. I don't know. It, I mean, it looks interesting. It looks well put together. I don't know Ravensburger, the publisher, uh, offhand, but hmm, kind of curious to see what other stuff they've done. Um, yeah, the reviews aren't, the reviews aren't bad. Uh, yeah, I'd be curious, honestly. And I don't really say that much about the Jurassic Park IP anymore. Yeah, but. really. The last one I played was like the Mattel board game back when the move, the first one came out. Yeah, it's been a long time. And most of the, the intellectual property stuff coming out of Jurassic Park was pretty bad. Um, huh, this actually looks like it might be one of their first games. Good on them. Alrighty, so, uh, oh no, I'm wrong. Am I wrong? No, I'm not wrong. They make puzzles, normally. Oh. Huh. Hmm. Alright, but moving along. Uh, so I didn't really have that much of a week. Um... And it's all game-related. So uh, the first game I want to talk about is Lord of the Rings, the living card game. Um, so if you're familiar at all with... Hearthstone? Living card... No. <laughs> <laughs> Tim and I, uh, I mean, checked it out before tonight. And uh, yeah, a certain game comes to mind. I, really? I, I said <laughs> that if Blizzard decided to sue Lord of the Rings, the living card game, they would probably leave with a check. Well, except the only thing is that Lord of the Rings Living Card Game came out first. The digital or the the physical? Uh, physical. Ah. Um, yeah, the Lord of the Rings Living Card Game, uh, I think was, uh, was it Reiner? K- no, it wouldn't be Reiner Knizia. Who am I? Oh, Stefan Felt. Um, I'm just checking on date. When did this come out? Come on. Because it wasn't originally published by Fantasy Flight Games. It was published by someone else. And then Fantasy Flight picked it up in 2011. Oh, yeah. If you Uh, look at the physical Lord of the Rings card game compared to their um, living card game, like the actual digital version, it mm -hmm. looks drastically different. Oh, yeah. I know. It it is very, very different. Because the the Um, digital version looks like whoever made Hearthstone just changed out all the pictures. But then the actual physical one looks like a completely different card game. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, I thought that you were saying that it was basically just Hearthstone with Lord of the Rings. Oh, no. The the digital version looks like somebody just reskinned Hearthstone. But then the the physical one looks nothing like it. Oh, yeah. Just for some I, reason, I, they, they for the UI and whatnot, they made everything look like Hearthstone on mm-hmm. like the Steam one I'm looking at now. Yeah, I mean... Hearthstone, in, in terms of looks, I think is definitely what you want to go for as a, a new digital card game. Uh, I mean, it certainly, you know, set a pretty high bar anyway. Um, but yeah, so it, it came out to early access on Steam last week. Um, and it's being put out by Fantasy Flight. I think Fantasy Flight Digital is what they're calling themselves, their digital version. Um and so I did give it a look uh, last Wednesday when it first came out. I actually streamed my first impressions. And so I hadn't played the, um, whatchamacallit, the, uh, the the physical version of it before. Although I am familiar with Fantasy Flight's co-op, uh, cooperative scenario-based card games. So I kind of knew what I was getting into. Um, 
still, I actually think it's probably one of the best co-op card games they've put out. And that's including, um, you know, the Warhammer Quest uh, adventure card game, or even the, um, there's an Elder Elder Sign, or Arkham Horror, one of those, I can't remember the name of it, um, a Cthulhu-themed co-op card game as well. Um, and I actually like this a lot better. It had some really interesting mechanics to it. It feels very kind of Magic the Gathering-ish with some interesting combos. And there's a lot of cool decisions that you can make in terms of who do you send out on quests? Who do you have, like, defend or attack who? Um, the only downside I see with it is that since this is a game where you can customize your deck um, from, like, four different factions... And kind of take what heroes you want and, you know, kind of what action cards you want. Um, I find that the game is really punishing unless you have a decent deck, which is weird in a purely co-op game. Well, I mean, Um, Hearthstone was the same way. Is Hearthstone just a a single-player co-op, like, versus computer? Well, it can be. Oh, can it really? It has, like, dungeons that you can do, depending on the expansion. If you bought yeah. it, but I mean, eh. well, no, actually, yeah, I... thinking about it, no, it, it is mainly like competitive, but it did have its like single player things that it just tweaked the way that um, the gameplay ruled out. Like one match, um, you fight Arthas. I did that one last summer. Um, let me try to think of some of the fun fights. Like one of them, like it was against AI, and you can only it, it had like thirty health, and it can only take one damage at a time, and you had to figure out a way around that, and that was the whole fight. Hmm. Okay. I just I don't I don't know it 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 kind of rubbed me the wrong way when I get like my starting deck that like oh here's your starting deck and I insert some extra cards into it and I cannot get through the first like scenario like or or like the first mission of the first scenario and just get just stomped on are there boosters for you to buy i think so um it's it was a little convoluted on how to buy them um but oh no no there was uh yeah it was kind of tricky like you pick what hero you want and then they come with like a like that hero comes with a certain set of cards um, since it's not like a collectible card game, uh, the living card game format tells you ahead of time what each pack includes. Um, but yeah, it just it just seemed really weird that you're gonna spend. So it's in early access. Um, the game costs at base eight dollars, um, and for your eight dollars, you get your starter deck um, and the first uh, scenario. And there's, I think, five scenarios in the game. Um, and it, it really seemed like I wasn't getting much for what I was paying. I mean, I know $8 isn't a lot, but on the same, you know, same side of the coin, uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse is $10. And I get everything I need to play the game. It, that's a that's a fully released game, though, isn't it? Uh, it is, but... I don't think that the Lord of the Rings game is going to knock the price down on their later scenarios. I mean, if if anything, they'd probably make the base game slightly more. I with with games like that, I look at them like printers. Like they're not making their money off of the printer. 
they're going to need you to keep coming back. So, yeah, they, if anything, they should just market the game as slow as possible, if not free. And then they're going to get you by, oh, I need to get more boosters because I need the cards in order to... Because that's where I was originally going with that whole thing when you said that you were having trouble taking out the guys that were just like in the very like first level or whatever that you're playing. Yeah. That they're kind of forcing you to purchase said booster packs in order for you to compete. Because, I mean, that's just... For a digital card game, that's the first thing that I'd figure they'd make you do. Yeah, I, I think it's just the format that makes it so strange that, like, since the only play mode in Lord of the Rings is against the computer, it it's just, like, it feels weird to be like, oh, no, your deck isn't good enough, buy booster packs. And I'm like, this is a this is a board game. Like, I feel like I, sh- I shouldn't have to spend all this extra money just, just to play. Like, I'm not trying to beat, like, uh, you know, live opponents. I'm just trying to play the game. Do they have intentions of making it like competitive later on? No, the game doesn't function in a way where it could, um, and the the physical game is also just purely co op. I don't know. So the physical game would end up being you and others versus whatever like the predetermined like boss deck or something is. Yeah, basically it's uh, it's one to two players, and then with each scenario, it tells you what cards to put into the boss's deck. Um, and then it has mechanic like a, it has mechanics telling you who would attack who and what each card does and what happens. Oh, so kind of like um, the the Dark Souls board game type deal. Yeah, essentially like that. When they get, and I mean, oh, go ahead. And, and, I, and I was just saying, like, so when it's that format, I just I I know essentially it's a trading card game, and the whole point is that you buy booster packs and make your deck better. But it just seems weird when it's like I'm making my deck better to play against the computer like it's way less satisfying yeah wouldn't it get kind of boring quick i mean it's like if they let you buy better weaponry for skyrim or something right like i just assume that the game would be built in a way that i would get either i would get more cards naturally which makes me better or like the challenges would just be balanced against a set deck and then i would just play through the game with that deck like it, it feels like such an arbitrary like wall where I mean I hate to say this because you know I, I'm I'm curious about the physical game but it feels like it's just a paywall. It's like oh you paid eight dollars that gets you the tutorial. Now spend ten dollars to get through the first emissions. Well, I mean Hearthstone's kind of like that, but it makes perfect sense. Like I don't mind going through that paywall because it if you want to survive in any kind of ranked play you're gonna need to buy boosters and it's right it's the it's the competitive nature of it yeah and being competitive and being social i i I entirely expect that because like oh man i gotta make a really cool deck so that i can beat these guys not like i gotta make this cool deck so i can sit here by myself and yell at the computer (laughs) i don't know just people have fun different ways i don't know like i I like to sit home alone and yell at my computer I love co-op games. Absolutely love them. Um, but I just felt like I was being cheated in this. And, like, I tried that first mission, like, four times. And I would, like, blow through the first two or three parts of it and then get to the end. And just the odds were just like, nope, you need a better deck. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh. It's just, it just it get good. 
It's, but it's not get good. Just it's draw pay better. more money. Just draw better. <laughs> <laughs> Did Yu-Gi-Oh teach you nothing? <laughs> heart, heart of the cards. Oh, it oh it had, man, it had so many bullshit mechanics too. There, so you have a thirty card deck, and there is a what they call a threat meter, which goes up over time as the computer plays certain cards. And when it hits certain levels, the computer gets to make an extra, like, a special action. Well, one of the special actions they get to play is discard all of the cards in your deck. That sounds like the most amazing blue card I would want in Magic. <laughs> so, like, so like, let, let that set in for a second. So, the computer literally says, hey, all the cards in your deck, get rid of them. The only thing you have is what is on the table. How... What am I supposed to do? <laughs> is there, is there like a, a counter where, like a black deck in Magic, where oh you you want everything in your discard pile so that you can draw from it? So the only thing that you can do is to try and manage the threat level by bringing in cards that specifically reduce the computer's threat. But it's it it's like trying to build a proactive deck for something that might not happen. Oh, well, I mean, that's and the single-player Hearthstone missions, I had to make decks specifically for the whoever boss I'm fighting. I, I guess. I, I, maybe I just need a different perspective on how to look at this game. Um, how much was it's it? Just, uh, it was $8. I'm going to get Cause, it tomorrow, cause and then I'll return it. it. <laughs> Steam! <laughs> um, so, pretty much, it might be more along the lines of kind of like the whole Monster Hunter thing from uh, a couple weeks ago when I was talking about that it's not so much that I find my one set of armor and my one weapon that I like the most. It's you see what you're coming up against next, and then you have to have like a whole toolkit. That way, okay, well, I'll bring this here, and then I'll leave that home because that's going to be useless here. And then I'll bring this set instead. So, I mean, it might be that case that you just have to keep altering or building out your decks. Yeah. Because I know yeah, I, mean, like, that... I had a bread-and-butter deck in Hearthstone. That, that was my go-to. But when I did this, the single-player solo missions, I couldn't use those because the gimmicks were so specific. I had to have specific counters in order to survive those encounters. Yeah, that could be. Maybe I just need to change my perspective because I keep looking at it as if it was just a digital board game where I pay like the $20 and here is the game. Yeah. Um, and and I, plus, too, I've the longevity been... of it, too. It's going to want you to make different decks because it'd be kind of stale if you just made your first intro deck and that got you through the whole $8 worth. It forces you yeah. to experiment and play with all the different cards that are available. Yeah, that's true. Maybe I just need... I mean, I'm going to take another look at it this week. I'm going to jump back on Steam and see if I can get through that, that first area. Um, I just... Yeah. I mean, I think the mechanics are good and it's an interesting game. Um, I just feel like it's a little heavy-weighted in the computer's favor. Um... And it, like really forces the deck build. I mean, it might just be, it might just not be for me, um, and that that could be at the end of the day. But or maybe they um, just really want to get you on the microtransactions, Dave. I mean that that could be. I mean they weren't cheap, honestly, because um, like a, a ten pack of cards was you know three dollars, kind of like you would expect physical ones. Um, and then I think each extra scenario was like another five dollars. The five I can get, like scenarios. That's that's fine. But three dollars a pack? No. Like three dollars I mean, a pack is pretty much if you were 
getting a physical one. Right, and I mean, $3 for a pack of 10 cards, to be fair, I think in the version of the game I have, there are only 20 packs of cards before you have all the cards in the set. Oh, so it's not like randomized, it's just... Right, that's the that's the living card game format, is that you buy these set packs of cards where you know everything that's in it, and then at a point, you just have all of the cards. Yeah, because like in Hearthstone, at least, you get gold, there is no... I man, it's been a while since I've actually. Tim, you can buy gold, right? No, you can just buy packs. Yeah, and it's what like isn't that like three bucks to get you like four packs or something? Uh, yeah, I don't remember. The only time I, for the most part, played Hearthstone is when it first came out, so I can win my three matches and get my Hearthstone Mountain. Well, here we go. So for three bucks in Hearthstone, load. Two, two packs is three dollars. Seven packs is ten. Fifteen is twenty. Forty packs is fifty bucks, and sixty packs is sixty nine dollars. And each pack comes with what is it? Five cards, and one of them is guaranteed to be rare. Hmm. Yeah, that doesn't feel like a bad value. But the I, other thing too is at least you don't have to spend money. Of course, that's the right. best way to get pack cards. But Right, it's the easiest. Yeah. yeah, for every match you win, I think it's you get ten gold, and for every hundred gold is one pack. Right, and I, you know, Lord of the Rings has something similar to it. Oh, good. Um, I just, you know, I played, I played it like five times, and I had enough to buy a pack of cards. Oh, okay, that's not terrible. All right, that's all right. I'm well, I'm, but to be fair, like pl- playing it, so playing it once. Is like forty five minutes, depending. Ah. So like, the matches are long, uh, just because it is like a narrative scenario. So like playing through a scenario t- does take a while, but I guess it's not too bad. Maybe I just need to change my mindset. Uh, I'm, uh, like, I'm I'm already I'm already hooked. I'm gonna I'm gonna try it tomorrow. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna be on what's tomorrow Wednesday. Oh, on Thursday, I'm gonna be streaming another another go at it before I kind of give up on it. Um, but we'll see. Uh, so yeah, that was my time with Lord of the Rings. The other thing I played this week uh, is a, a co-op game. Like I said, I love co-op games called The Big Book of Madness. Uh, now, The Big Book of Madness is a kind of is a pseudo deck builder um, set collecting game. Uh, essentially, the story of the game is that you are each player is a young wizard at a kind of wizarding school, non Harry Potter infringing. Uh, and you were stupid enough to open up a big book of fantasy monsters and evil creatures in the library. Why did you do that? Uh, because you're just a stupid student who are surprisingly angsty. Like, if you look at the picture, is it, the pictures of, like, the characters, they're all, like, the kid in high school who was, like, in the corner standing by himself, except now they can cast spells and have, like, tentacles, tentacles growing out of their faces and such. Unacceptable. Ten points from Ravenclaw. <laughs> I'm looking at the oh. uh, some of the cards and whatnot for it. So it looks like the uh, they look like the elemental students or whatever, because one's in green, one's in blue, so on and so forth. I've been um, like rereading a lot of the like Gen X X Men modern stuff now. It looks like mm-hmm. all students that would be at the school. Oh, really? It's all like the wacky hair and angsty powers. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of angst going on. Um, 
I mean, I think the art, the art is good overall, and I love the look out of it. Look at it; it's it's very playful despite all the angst. Yeah, it seems pretty cool. Um, but so you open up this book, and now the problem is is that you have to defeat all the monsters in the book and try and close it. Otherwise, the book is going to drive you mad. So each player starts off with a a deck of cards based on what character they're playing as, as well as some basic spells. And essentially, as each monster kind of is summoned out of the book, they're going to be casting curses at you. And you have to play sets of cards from your deck in order to get rid of these curses within a certain number of turns. Um, Now, in addition to playing cards from your your deck to break the curses, you can also buy new, better spells. Um, You can kind of increase the effectiveness of the cards in your deck as well as getting new cards for your deck um, and kind of... Uh, basically trade back and forth between you and the other player to try and, you know, make your hand better or have better chances at getting rid of these curses. Um, it's actually a lot of fun. The, 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 the curse casting mechanic and how, you know, the curses activate their abilities over, like, over the course of the turns is really, really elegant. And it works really well. The, it, it feels just cooperative enough while, you know, having a lot of control on your individual deck. Um, the only thing I didn't like about the game was the it, it kind of the it ended on a bit of a sour note. So, long story short, we did lose. Um, but since each monster encounter in the book essentially plays out the same way, where you reveal the monster, it does its initial you know ability where it hurts you. You place the curses out on the table for that monster, and then you try and you know beat all of the curses in time to kind of get rid of the monster and, cl- and flip the next page. The only problem is, is that the monster that's on the last page, you have to defeat all of its curses. Otherwise you immediately lose. Um, so, so it feels just like every other page and encounter, except this time, if you don't do it in time, rather than suffering a bad effect, you just lose immediately. And, it kind of soured the experience because once I realized that it kind of felt like all of the fight, the fights before it didn't really matter that much. And it kind of felt like you were just kind of doing the same thing over and over, but only the real, the last monster really mattered. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of undecided. Like I love the mechanics. The art is great. It, it It's fun. It's playful. It's, it's got some really great cooperative nature to it, but the final boss fight just felt sour and I might just not—I might not be seeing something in the mechanics that maybe makes that fight more relevant or or different. Um, but I want to—I want to try it again before I pass like my real final judgment. Um, I just know my first playthrough was fun until the end. Um, but I'm—I'm I'm definitely going to be trying again. I you know, even if simply just because it's a cooperative game and I love them. Uh, I'll be trying it again, but I think there's I think there's a lot there um, that that could be really fun. So uh, that is kind of my reviewish thing of the Big Book of Madness. Um, oh, also on a side note, Big Book of Madness is published by Yellow, and if you don't know Yellow, um, all of their games are absolutely beautiful and super colorful and just have this amazing visual aesthetic. So if if even that's something that will draw you into this game, I would highly recommend it, because Yellow is a fantastic publisher. So, 
without further ado, I think we are on to the news. Um, so not a super news-heavy week this week, uh, but a couple of interesting pieces. Uh, first up, uh, we want to take a quick look at this giant fan-made tabletop game uh, that they're calling Aegon's Quest, which is a 33-player uh, Game of Thrones board game. Um, so, so Nick, did you want to give a little backstory on this? It's um, not official, seeing as how it's a licensed game, but it's split up into um, eight houses, in which case there are four players per house. And then there's uh, several referees that are needed to be involved, too, which is crazy. And then they play over a massive map of... Um, what the hell is it called? Game of Thrones has been off the air for a like, Oh, uh, Westeros? Yeah, that's the one. Because I'm like, Azeroth, no. Um, Middle-earth, no. <laughs> <laughs> Switched gears a little too hard on the, uh, the Blizzard front. <laughs> Pretty much. But yeah, so um, it's a... That's it's almost like a massive game of risk, but there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that goes on, just like Game of Thrones, where there's hidden alliances and betrayals and backstabbing that causes the game to be very interesting. And I would be interested to play it. It looks cool. They released it for um, for anyone that would want to play, and it has the full breakdown of the rule book, all the game materials that you need. It's pretty cheap. It's not really anything that needs to be uh, crazily done in order to set up. But it's more so planning and having all of those people coordinated enough to come in and play and learn how to play at the same time. So, like, yeah. <clears throat> things will happen through the game that will, like, disgrace your house. But then, like, the third party being... um. um the Night's Watch, they'll come in and, like, you know, if you donate, or not donate, but, like, if one of your guys comes to work for us, we can get rid of that whole thing about you wanting to sleep with your sister. And then it'll raise morale and bring back, like, favor to that house. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the game ends up playing out as just, like, basically there's there's no limit on kind of the social interactions that you can have with other players yeah. slash houses. Because then um, you can, yeah. Because the article that I had read, the guy was really more impressed with just how much happened behind, like between the rounds, and that's when all those alliances were made in order to get things done and <clears throat> get the resources you need to build whatever you may want. Or I didn't. I read all of this at work, so I couldn't actually download the rule book and fully delve into it. But just going over his story and seeing what it was involved in just his own experience looked really fun and I'd be willing to try it out. Yeah. I'm, I actually have the rule book up right now. Um, and it's 117 pages. Um, a lot of it is kind of just telling you about the various houses mm. and, and who's in it. Um, and some kind of the basics, but like basically kind of skimming through the rule book. Um, it seems like it's mainly kind of like a social role-playing game with some, like, resource management uh, kind of stuff added to it. Yeah, um, figured as much. For that many players, that it has to be it, because there's no way in hell that you're going to have, you know, 
eight different games of Risk going on at the same time and not have it to be more of a social game. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of role playing involved into it, but the role playing has a, a scoring system to it. Um, so I'm curious to see how that would play out, but. Yeah, and there's like a whole table of like secrets, you know, uh, different families having secrets, and you get points for learning different uh, the different secrets each person has. Um, so it is it is interesting. I'm, I'd be curious to see how it would play, or even where you would start figuring out how to play this. You watch Game of Thrones, right? Uh, I kind of fell off the wagon after excuse me after season four. Mm. You should see if Quarterstaff is willing to host something like that. Oh man, that is that would be a huge event. I, I I don't know. It would be hard just to get that many people into a room who know how to play. Well, I mean, nobody's going to know how to play, seeing as how this is a strictly, you know, like homebrew game. I think yeah, it'd be that's interesting true. to see. I think it definitely. I think the best place for this would def would be a convention. Mm. Yeah. Um, hey, we can try to do that at um. WonderCon, um, the one to the far north. Oh, Snow SnowCon? SnowCon, that's the one. That could, I mean, it could be a possibility. I mean, yeah, you would need a GM who's like super on top of it. Well, they have the Iron GMs there. That's true, they do. You know he won Nationals? It, did he oh, really? really? Yeah, it's actually not the first time he's won either. Huh. Yeah, so give someone um, else a shot. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think it's his third year winning. Oh, shit. Good for him. I know. I mean, it makes me want to, to play in his group now. Not to say that my previous DMs were not up to par, but it would be interesting to see what a, an iron DM could do. Seriously, like when, when you're rated to be the best like GM in the country, I, I mean, that's, you know, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um... But yeah, yeah. So thirty-three player board game. I, you know, I'd be curious. I mean, it's probably one of those few games that's actually longer than Twilight Imperium. Well, they, um, he said it was only like six hours. Wait, seriously? Yeah, five, five or six hours, I think. Wow, I can't even imagine how that works. That seems super short. Well, for right? a game for that, that long, I'm pretty sure you won't be able to get thirty-three people in the same room again to play this game again because, like. As good of an experience as it is, at the same time, I mean, we all played WoW. You know how hard it was to conjure up like ten people to do a raid every week. That that is a really good point. Much um, much wow. less to get triple, quadruple that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving on. So uh, next up, we have uh, not even sure if it's an announcement. Uh, it's actually just some, some pretty cool news uh, that airports around the country have started adding in kind of uh, video game lounges so that people while they're hanging out can play video games now i'm not exactly sure where they're testing this so far i think the first one just showed up in uh dallas fort worth um just give me the article yeah it looks like jfk is actually gonna be doing this well which is right near us well not right near us nearish to us yeah nearish um nearish it used to be closer when we were in all connect we were all in connecticut not so much anymore it's still one of the bigger uh, airports that we have. That's true, definitely in that area. I mean, I think it's bigger than Logan, isn't it? Which one, JFK? Yeah. Um, 
I think so. The the main thing being that the Logan Airport is like the multiple terminals and whatever that aren't connected. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think JFK is all interconnected. So it just seems better. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tim, you must be really excited about this with that possibility of having a gaming lounge. <laughs> yeah, so it's... Um, I'll be interested in setting up my flights going through Dallas um, and whatnot <laughs> coming up. But I ended up thinking that it, it's a pretty cool concept just for the fact that I know traveling a lot myself. Um, granted, like, yeah, you always have the option of bringing your own stuff and, like, I'll hang out and I'll play, like, my Switch or I'll do something or I'll read a book. Um, but it's just kind of different to be able to sit down and actually play, like, a console or sit down and do, like, a virtual reality thing for a half hour while I'm waiting. Because uh, I know the one that they said at JFK is, I believe, isn't going to be the game lounge. Uh, it's going to be they're testing out, like, the virtual reality segments mm-hmm. and everything which would end up being pretty cool to just like show up at an airport you're waiting like two hours for your flight for, during your layover so you end up like running into other people doing vr or something to that effect it it's just going to end up being a little bit more social and a little bit more fun than just sit there and play a game on your phone by yourself um which it depends also on what games or kind of what setup they're going to do if it's just going to be like we set up 20 stations for you guys to play Fortnite, then your 20 workstations end up playing like League of Legends, it would probably end up being worse for me uh, than better. But it's kind of a cool concept to kind of start doing, just to hopefully get more people maybe playing games or just something de-stressed during travel. You know, even if it is just like an internet cafe, at least you can catch up on your world quests. Yeah, like that. Well, that's also the main thing. I'm hoping that they just give me like a workstation I can just play a PC game at without having to actually bring my laptop or bring a laptop. Yeah, I'm surprised there's yeah. not more internet cafes, even that like just gaming lounge. I know oh, there's yeah. like one one in Boston, or I think I think there's one in Waterbury in Connecticut. Yeah, I know. I remember when they were kind of being really trendy, like in the early 2000s, or even early 2010 era. Um, and then they all just kind of disappeared. I remember when we were back in Connecticut, the uh, Milford Post Mall had one for a short period of time. But I'm just wondering, I, I, maybe the overhead is too high on that kind of a small business uh, to, to, to make that work. Probably, but, I mean, between the upkeep and whatnot of probably having to keep all of that running... Plus, seen as most of these things have become kind of more affordable um, in terms of like picking up a console or having a, a PC that can play some of the stuff, especially with a lot of things going more retro now. So, I mean, I don't need to be able to pick up something and play like Crisis 2 or back in the day when that was like the, the benchmark. Um, now it's like, oh, do I have anything that can play like Dead Cells? Does it have like the, can I play like 16 or 32 bit graphics or something? Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. I, I hadn't really thought about much, but we do actually have a small one uh, up here in Burlington. Um, I know they recently moved. I think they actually had to move into a smaller facility. Um, but they are kind of that classic, uh, I mean, I want to say internet cafe, but they basically do console and computer rentals that are full gaming rigs, uh, as well as a couple of uh, VR stations with the uh, omnidirectional uh, treadmills on them. Oh, that's kind of cool. I, 
Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to go over there. I was going to go to their original location, which was in our mall, uh, the college mall in, I think it's technically South Burlington. But um, I didn't get a chance to until they moved, and I haven't looked at their new location, so I don't know too much about it. Um, but I might have to check that out, and uh, anyone who's listening, that's the Vermont Gaming Academy uh, out in South Burlington. Um, oh, they actually do uh, they do birthday parties, private parties. They even do a lock-in. Um, I like the old every, uh, yeah. wreck. Yeah, they do it every other Friday uh, from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's 30 bucks or 15 if you're, I guess you can become a member. Uh, that's, that's pretty cool, actually. I might have to, I'm gonna have to take a look at this place. I know I follow them on Facebook and they post some, like, videos of when their, uh, their lock-ins go live. But, yeah, I'm gonna have to take a look at this. That's pretty cool. Um, now with the airports, I'm wondering, I'm wondering why they went this route instead of just installing an arcade. Or are arcades just really that dead where it's not even a consideration? Yeah, I wonder if it's just if they have get the arcade or if they put all the stuff to do an arcade. If there's ten machines in there and five of them are ones that people don't care about, then they kind of wasted the money. But at least this, if they end up getting like some consoles or if somebody doesn't like the game, okay, well we're out like I don't know sixty bucks maybe um, on the the game that they picked up for it. And then they always just, they still have the console, so they can always just try something else next time. So it's probably easier for them that way in terms of taking a chance on a lot of this stuff. Um, but I mean, I, I always, I would not mind having an, an old arcade if that's the case. I know um, Sarah and I were actually up in Manchester, well, Nashua this past week, up in New Hampshire, and uh, to go to the outlets. And we ended up running into like a fire alarm they had there, so everybody got sent out from the outlets so we're killing time we ended up finding an arcade called fun world which is like this giant castle that's a three-floor arcade which the for three floors it didn't have a, a whole lot but it was pretty nice um but it was nice seeing like an old school arcade again that's not like a barcade it's a straight up arcade it seemed more along the lines like the old school milford wreck or smiles or any of the ones people for all of those listeners in Southern Connecticut that were around in Milford during the '90s, all uh, all the droves out there that we have, um, it's more along the lines of kind of that older school arcade where it's not really based around like having a bar and whatnot. It's more so just here's ten dozen games, just go play. We ended up getting back into DDR, which I was never into in the first place. Um, but I know you were back in the day, weren't you, Dave? I was a fiend in TDR. Yeah. Thanks to our our good friend uh, Ting Chang, uh, get, getting me into that man. I I played so much DDR, it's mildly embarrassing. I'd like never played it until we were killing time, and it's like, well, a lot of the stuff I wanted to play was broken. So uh, Sarah was like, oh, like I love DDR. I haven't played in years. Let's play DDR, and we put our tokens in, and then we realized that somebody must have put in like a ton of tokens, and then just left because we were playing, and it was like, okay, well, this is like the eighth song ninth song we're on like our 13th song and it's wow it's still going either we're getting a lot of money or like a lot of bang for our buck where somebody put in like 30 dollars in tokens and then just walked away so we ended up just playing until i physically could not play anymore and now she wants to buy the uh the pads and whatnot and go back to playing ddr um, oh man, I still I still have mine for PS2 if you want them. <laughs> Actually, I might take you up on that. I know we were looking at it, and I guess PS3 and 
360 were the last ones they released ones for. Um, because I guess with the Connect and Just Dance or whatever coming out on like Xbox One and everything, that they aren't working on any like mats or anything for the home DDR games anymore. Now it's just, oh, do Just Dance. Which I feel oh, like yeah, it's, where it's, it's like, definitely not the same. Yeah, it's just posture and arm placement. Yeah. So, if... Uh, oh, man. I, I, I still remember playing DDR, and I used to play, and I would sync up two pads. <laughs> and because you could play the... You could do the two-pad mode. Um, which you would actually... You would actually have to go across the, the, the both pads. And, oh, man. Oh, so many memories. So, Dave, next time uh, you come down, bring... Uh, We'll set up the PS2. Bring down your DDR pads, and we'll we'll break our rock band, and we'll have a uh, our high school nostalgia weekend. Oh man, can we? Can you play both at the same time? <laughs> Just have DDR and rock band. It's like dance while you play. God damn it! I feel like somebody must have hooked something up. I know uh, there was that one story going around about the guy that was like beating Dark Souls using all sorts of things as controllers. Like, he hooked up the uh, Donkey Kong bongos or something and beat the game using those. So, it probably isn't outside the realm of possibility. I heard he beat it with a banana. (laughs) I love love the Dark Souls modding community who, like, (laughs) mod it just to make it way harder. (laughs) Like, um, there was... um, I think there's a... It's a YouTuber who is playing Dark Souls with... uh, all item drops set to random, which includes key items. <laughs> so it's like, oh man, how do I progress? I can't get this key because the guy who normally drops it or the chest that it's normally in doesn't have it. So it's like you're 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 no longer like getting a key to Blight Town from the yawning dragon. It's like coming from a random soldier in the old town. It's uh. That's like, why would you do that to yourself? But I guess, uh, yeah, I guess for for the entertainment value, that's probably pretty fun. But I can't imagine playing it. Yeah, I feel like I enjoyed Dark Souls. It was tough enough as it is. I don't think I have the constitution to. I'll play through Dark Souls this time completely randomized using uh, like a Guitar Hero drum set. Oh yeah. That's not even like I, I like this game anymore. That's just what what can I do to make this hard? Yeah. Yeah. But hey, my hats off to anybody out there playing it that way. Hmm. That's true. That's got to be pretty intense. All right. Uh up next, uh so a recent re- re- uh, release by uh Cryptozoic Entertainment. Um and Cryptozoic anyone who doesn't know is basically a uh, kind of a card manufacturer, a link to a lot of different pop culture events. Um, they make things like the, uh, you know, they make Ghostbusters trading cards, Ghostbuster 2 trading cards, Walking Dead stuff. Um, and I was recently, uh, as well as some card games, like they make uh, Epic Spell Wars, um, I think a couple of others. Um, so they just recently announced that they are going to be making um, Rick and Morty Season 1 trading cards. Now, when I first saw this, I thought, oh, cool, a Rick and Morty trading card game. So not the case. It's it's literally like old school, like, collect cards and trade them. Like, 
There's nothing to the cards other than just collecting cards. Are they physical? Um, they are physical cards. Oh, God, if it was just a digital just trading this- card game. <laughs> Every day we get uh, further from God's light. Um, and so, and uh, it's all, all the cards are brand new artwork. So it's it's not art from the show, but it's it's art inspired by the show. Um, so I, I just kind of went down a rabbit hole because I saw, oh, Rick and Morty trading cards. Saw, oh, cool, Rick and Morty trading card game. No, just collectible cards that you can buy and have with original artwork that varies from pretty good to kind of meh. Um... I mean, I didn't even know trading cards were still a thing. I, th- I thought that was kind of an old school format um, for like having collectible art. I mean, have you guys ever delved into trading cards at all? Yeah. Can <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, you elaborate? <laughs> no. I was a kid. <laughs> I mean, in hindsight, I don't see the the importance of it. Back then, it was just cool to see. It's that same urge that like oh, let me buy the new Magic deck or, you know, a booster. And, I like, that excitement of seeing what's inside it. Mm. Like, but, I like all the... Act- oh, go ahead. No, that's, that's it. But, I mean, like, with a trading card set, not even a game, just a trading card set, like, all right, cool, you completed the set, now what? Yeah. I mean, like, I did... Uh, I think it was, like, the X-Men ones back in the day and whatnot, but I didn't have friends that I was trading with, so it was just, like... I would get them, or my brother would get them, and then it was, cool, I guess we'll just put it in a box in the bedroom, and we got these ones. Until we ended up getting into actual, like, card games, um, like Magic, Pokemon, DBZ, all those kind of ones. Then at least it made more sense that, oh, cool, like, I'll buy packs, because I'm actually doing something with them, rather than now I can look at all of them in a binder and just marvel at them. Yeah, I think I have Jurassic Park Casper and um, season one of Power Rangers. Oh, those were the other ones. I think I had Beetleborgs too, or something. If anybody remembers Beetleborgs, but I don't remember Beetleborgs. Wow. Um, yeah, I just I I'd never got into trading cards. I mean, certainly collectible card games or trading card games. You know, everything from Gundam Wing, DBZ, Pokemon, and Yu-Gi-Oh, and all that. Um, but this was something I never really did. I mean, when Pogs were still kind of a thing, I guess that kind of filled the same niche. But even that had a bit of a game to it. Yeah, mind you people, this is not like Rick and Morty, the trading card game where it's Rick versus Morty. This is like baseball card trading, except with artwork and maybe a little blurb on the back of the card that says, like, Justin Roiland was high on chicken nuggets when he decided to say this line. <laughs> I like that he got he gets high on chicken nuggets. Like his his body chemicals allow him to <laughs> to experience a high from eating chicken nuggets. Look, man, we've all watched the show. It's a lot more than weed that can possibly come up with half that crap. That's a good point. Um, yeah, so it's just it's just random cards with art on them for you to collect. That occasionally will include also like temporary tattoos or scratch and sniff cards or like even like little stand-up uh cutouts i don't know if i want a scratch and sniff card from rick and morty uh well so the one they show specifically is um when the episode where rick is getting chased by the other ricks for committing murder oh against god the rick 
and he's traveling into Pizza World, where like the people are pizzas and they sit in chairs, but they order <laughs> human pizzas. Um, so it, it's just scratch and sniff of a pizza guy in a chair. Okay, that's better than what I was expecting. Yes. So that one makes sense. I don't know if there's any other scratch and sniff cards, but that's the one they're showing off. What, what leather and pepperoni? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's probably more like pepperoni based, but um, so I get that one. At least it's not like um, what was the episode when uh, it's the theme park inside of a person's body? Uh, anatomy park. <laughs> anatomy park. Scratch and sniff anatomy park in like the pirates of pancreas. It's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, if you happen to be into collectibles, and especially if you're a super fan of Rick and Morty and want to take a look at all of this kind of brand new artwork and kind of exclusives from Cryptozoic, this is definitely something that would be up your alley. Um, personally, I've never been in the trading cards, but, uh, if, if you are really into Rick and Morty, this is definitely another kind of exclusive collector's item, um, that you can find. Uh, and I do believe it's already out yet. Uh, I do believe it's already out. Uh, and they actually also come, oh, I didn't realize this. They also do come with autographed cards. Um, so certain, I think they're kind of random assorted. I mean, like all the packs, but they do have, uh, cards autographed by Justin Rowland, Chris Parnell, uh, Carrie Walgren, Phil Hendry, Rob Paulson, uh, Tom Kenny, uh, Tom Kenny's not really a big pull. He's, he's mainly just squanchy and, uh, Mr. Jellybean. But <laughs> you know Tom. Um, you know Tom Kenny's kind of a big deal, though, right? Is he? I have no idea. He's the voice of SpongeBob and the Ice King. Is, yeah. Is he really? Yeah. Oh man, he gets really low billing on on these trading cards. Then. Well, I think he just doesn't do a whole lot on uh, which call it on Rick and Morty for the most part. But I mean, overall, he's like everywhere else. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, that's my fault for not knowing super well. Yeah. Well, you know, like, um, voice actors all have that, like, one giveaway that once you hear it and you know it, you can mm-hmm. pick them out of a show even without even watching it. It can yeah. just be in the background and you immediately know, like, oh, that's this guy, that's that person, that woman. Like, um, Tress McNeil, she's huge. You have no- you know her voice so well, but saying her name, you won't know who it is. Right. Isn't that Dot well, from, uh, whatchamacallit, Animaniacs? Yep. She's um, in Futurama, uh, Simpsons, like, she's been in tons of stuff. For me, that's kind of like, I know, I mean, he always does the same voice, but I, I love him regardless, like Patrick Warburton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, most notably known for Family Guy's Joe. But, like, he pops up every so often, and every time he does, and I'm like, oh, man, it's Patrick Warburton. It's awesome. I just will always love him as Brock Sampson from Venture Brothers. Right. Or, you know, I loved him when he was in The Tick. Oh, uh, yeah. Or even as David uh, Putty on Seinfeld. Oh, that's true. Or, actually, my my favorite role he was probably in when he was doing the voice of Buzz Lightyear and Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. Dad, I didn't know uh, he did the voice for that. He did. And um, if this Buzz Lightyear of Star Command is probably my biggest recommendation for, like... 2000 Saturday morning cartoons. That show is unbelievably good. Um, in kind of like a sleeper sensation kind of way. Um, there, there, it, it went on, I believe, man, I, I think it went for six seasons 
And it was one of those cartoons that really played like the long joke. Where you would have a, a joke that was set up in like episode 12. And the payoff is like 40 episodes later. Um, and just and just did that so well. And so many times uh, that once it got going with those really long jokes is was just like one of my favorite like Saturday morning style cartoons. I feel like more shows need to take advantage of like that long joke. I know there's so many that do it so well. I mean, even a slightly smaller version, if you remember the, the I hate to say cartoon, but Frisky Dingo, um, where Frisky Dingo had almost no immediate payoff where every yeah. joke they made was a long joke. Like, I didn't think the show was good, like, the first eight episodes. The first time we watched it, I remember you hyped it up so much. Tim and I finally sat down to watch it. And, like, it, they were all, like, what, two-minute episodes each, but strung together, it makes one cohesive story. Mm-hmm. And after a good half an hour, we're like, where's the payoff? And then the joke started to, like, you you got it. Oh, yeah. It, it took... I, like, Frisky Dingo was, was weird with that, because it really took a long time for, like, you to get the joke. But, yeah, that's just how they how they did it. It was really interesting and kind of risky that you're setting up a joke that's going to take eight episodes to get the punchline for. And plus, it's one of those things where when it first airs and you have, like, oh, here's an episode and you don't end up seeing another, like, ten-minute segment until, like, a week later, it's a lot riskier than figuring, oh, well... Somebody's going to sit down, watch this DVD, and then be able to remember this 40 minutes from now when we pay off on that joke. I mean, if we end up watching something and I don't get a payoff or like a callback to a joke for another like two months, I might not necessarily remember it offhand. I don't like watching shows when it's live. Like, I'd rather wait until it's all said and done before I actually watch it. Like, I stopped watching Westworld because I so much you have to watch it in a row for you to catch all the little nuances they did put into every episode so that when they do a big reveal, you're like, wait, what? Instead of actually knowing or reverse that. So when they do the big reveal, you're like, oh, okay, holy crap, that's crazy. Versus like, well, they talked about this like three episodes ago. So that's almost a month that I had to pay close attention to. And I don't rewatch episodes, you know, like, I don't watch the Sundays and then watch it again on Monday and again on Tuesday. So that by the time the next week comes up, I, I don't remember what happened last week. Yeah, so it's it's a risk when they do it that way. But, I mean, it's still... I love it. Yeah, it, first, I always found that, like, the long joke... I always appreciated it a lot more once it happened. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, like, sticks so prominently out in my mind is just because like those those huge joke payoffs uh were so much bigger and so much you know in some ways to me more interesting than like you know the little in episode jokes that we would get um but it's it's hard to set up and you know you don't know if the show's going to work necessarily when you're when you're setting those jokes up um but i mean oh when they do though it's so good it's always it, it's always so good when they they do get those setups to work right I mean, hell, we still quote um, Frisky Dingo. Absolutely. Some of us a little bit better than others, but... Well, you know, it has been a while since I've seen it. <laughs> At least I started the joke. 
You did start it. I will admit that. I just love the the hanging like what <laughs> like text message <laughs> when I went when I when I like went down the rabbit hole with it. And it's like what? Well, in, um, in fairness, you went backwards with the quote, and that's what threw I mean, me. Well, because you you can't do the quote with the last part. How am I supposed to join in? Well, you 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 set up the last part of the joke. Actually, yeah, I I started with the the tail end of it. It kind of made it difficult to organically backtrack to a punchline. Yeah, line. I yeah I, I tried. I, I yeah I, I I get it. It's it's fine. We all we all still appreciated it. <laughs> Um, so last up for the news, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about an article that came out, uh, kind of discussing, um, I'm not even trying to put it, but basically something Bioware came out saying, um, essentially Bioware made a claim that video game subscription services are going to start diversifying AAA games. Um, now this is kind of referring to, um, EA's Anthem service or Xbox's, um, was it, is it? X-Play, or I'm trying to remember what Game their Pass. Game Pass... Oh, the Xbox Game Pass. Um, and kind of similar services like that are going to be kind of diversifying AAA games and kind of mixing up the market by following this this Netflix model. Um, no. So, so, so Tim, I, I know you looked a little bit into this. Did you want to kind of take off on this one? Yeah, so pretty much what they're looking to do is they're going to be kicking off their own EA subscription service similar to the Game Pass on Xbox where you're just going to end up paying like a, a flat monthly fee or whatever the case is, and you could have access to any number of their games from there. Um, I know the big one that they're going to be kind of doing it or kind of the, the flagship for it is going to be uh, Anthem. Their upcoming one that's kind of seems partly like Destiny, partly like some sort of Mech Warrior type thing, um, which actually Anthem I've been following. I'll probably still check it out. But it's you're, you end up getting like a different... Uh, types of kind of like mech suits and you can get different loadouts and whatnot for them and it's just you kind of exploring this planet with all these different missions and like you and your fire team with like three other people end up going into a cave and fighting a giant spider thing or you end up kind of going into all these different um, biomes and whatnot it seems kind of cool Um, I'm still holding out on it but that's going to be what they're hoping to kind of drive their streaming service with Um, only because of the success of Xbox Game Pass more recently. I don't know how to feel about it just yet. I'm not a huge fan of more things going to streaming, kind of like the issue with the video stuff going to streaming right now, um, or even like the music going to streaming. Too many people try to get their hand in the pot on it, and it just makes it kind of useless to me. Like the whole thing with... um, Music, for instance, like Spotify used to be kind of my one-stop shop on it. And then certain things got pulled from it because, well, now we only we have our own music system. You're going to have to buy like a subscription to Tidal Music or like we only do things through like the iTunes store or whatever the case is. Or then even the movies, as it is now, just so I can watch all my shows and watch all my movies streaming, I have to have like Verve, I have to have Hulu, I have to have Netflix, I have to have like Amazon Prime. So where it used to be, oh, this is a great idea because now I can just get everything from one spot. Well, now I'm back to essentially paying for cable again because I have to get it from like six different streaming services. Which, granted, it's kind of my own fault because it's I want to watch shows from all of them. Um, 
But I feel like if they go the same route with games, it's cool that you get a subscription and you don't have to buy the game necessarily. It's just um, like the instance with Sea of Thieves or State of Decay 2 for the Xbox Game Pass. I could pay $10 or whatever for the month, check out the Xbox Game Pass, play the game, and then I pretty much kind of get it. Even though it's day one, I don't have to wait for it. Um, But if everybody kind of goes that route, it might just get kind of a little bit muddled in terms of do you end up buying the game? Do you end up just getting a service that way you can stream the game? Because it used to be they keep you playing the game by doing like expansion packs and whatnot. And yeah, I'm going to end up buying the new expansion. Like Diablo 2, I bought Lord of Destruction back in the day because I wanted to keep playing the game. Now it's going to end up being kind of along the lines of wow of, well, you pay for your game pass or you pay for your stream pass and now you're going to not have the option to ever just kind of um, get the the new expansion or whatever the case is. Most of it's going to end up being just get a subscription and we'll release new uh, stuff to you over time, which I don't know how you guys feel about having to get a game subscription. Well, I mean, pain in the ass. I don't like it. I mean, I, in some ways I get it. Um, I, I, with, so, so first of all, with, with streaming TV and streaming movies, um, I was never opposed to the idea because it's now it's no longer being the disconnect from cable and like oh you know get away from cable get these services because they're way cheaper and there's no commercials and all these perks and now they basically just become a like pay for the shows you want kind of subscription where instead of paying like seventy dollars a month for cable where these are the channels you get, you can be like, oh, well, I want to watch anime and horror movies and new releases. So you get, like, Chiller, Crunchyroll, and Hulu. Um, Sling TV does the same thing with actual cable. It's a la carte. You pay for the channels you want, and you know there's no contract. And you mm-hmm. can stop paying whenever you want, and you're, you're all set. And it's just talking, like, TBS, you know, ABC. Mm-hmm. So that's something similar, and and that's kind of kind of how I've viewed the recent change in streaming, where before it was just like, well, just get Hulu or just get Netflix, and you're pretty much good. Um, to to now, where like there's even popular YouTube shows that are getting pulled and put on Verve. Um, or well, they're pushing with YouTube Red now. Oh yeah, YouTube Red was just super frustrating. Which now like, is I remember be a key I, for YouTube Red. Yeah, I used to watch Bravest Warriors on YouTube, which was made by, I can't remember his name, but the same creator of Adventure Time, uh, his kind of small studio. Oh, Pendleton Um, Ward? Yeah, Pendleton Ward. Uh, Fantastic cartoon, by the way. Um, But you now have to have Verve to be able to watch it, which was frustrating. But um, So that's how I kind of saw modern streaming going. I get what Bioware is saying. And that by splitting off games into different subscription services might kind of broaden the gaming field with AAA games because now you're going to have to, you know, it's it's almost like going back to exclusive console titles where the vast majority of people will buy a specific console for specific games. Uh, except now you will be subscribing to a certain service because you want certain types of games. And it could allow publishers the opportunity to kind of hone in on specific genres within a streaming service. Um, 
So I get what they're saying. I don't know if I love the idea necessarily. Um, but at the same time, I don't feel extremely possessive about games. Um, I'm mainly a PC gamer, so I only own virtual copies anyway, so it doesn't feel too different. I wouldn't mind if they pulled the $60 game fee and just... That's, uh, you know, it's your 20 bucks a month. You can play anything that we make. I wouldn't yeah. mind that. But I'm tired of just games that are coming out $60, and then after like a year, they're marked down in the freaking discount bin for like 5 bucks. And then, you know, just there's too many streaming services that even with TV shows and all that, that um, I actually took the time that, you know, all those like digital copies of the movies that you buy. Mm -hmm. I actually redeemed all the codes I can get. It it is not a simple thing. I have five different accounts with like one or two movies littered across each and every one of them. Because none of them are uniformed. They all want a piece of the pot or a piece of the pie and it it doesn't work from a consumer standpoint. Because at the end of the day, I'm not saving money, I'm spending more because five bucks here, five bucks there, five bucks there. Like I'm spending three hundred dollars a month in order to get the media that I want. No, just make it a single place, but nobody wants to do that. Disney wants to make their own, which they're going to pull all the Marvel stuff and put it into there. They're going to put all the Star Wars stuff into it. Um, You know, Verve has its own monopoly when it comes to certain things, but at least they're kind enough to have all of the package channels combined. Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Sony, um, View, I think it's called. Yeah, like I don't mind streaming like the concept or even if it's games as a service in terms of getting subscription to, in this case, like EA or whatever the case is or Bioware rather. Um, I just hope it doesn't go the route of cool. I have these 50 things in these two different spots and then it becomes, well now it's 10 things in five spots. And well now it's, I have to get 20 different streaming services in all these different spots because everybody wants to have their own independent one now. Next thing you know, it's going to be like Ubisoft or like Ubisoft Montreal is going to have their own streaming service separate from like Ubisoft, uh, whatever the other one is from there. And you're going to have to pay like separate fees. I'm hoping it just doesn't go that route. Otherwise, yeah. it is kind of cool to be able to just do the subscription because I mean, I did the Games Pass. I like the idea working with that. Uh, in terms of not having to necessarily buy Sea of Thieves or buy um, State of Decay 2 right off the bat. Um, But ultimately, I mean, I just... I'd test it out, but I wouldn't keep it permanently because if I ever stop the streaming, I don't want to have to lose my game collection because I still don't want to pay $20 a month or whatever the case is. Um, I'd rather just test it out and then go buy the game that way I can just stop and decide, okay, well, I paid my 60 bucks. I'll never have to continue to pay money if I want to still play, say, Monster Hunter World. I bought it. I owned it. It's mine. I can go back to it whenever I want, um, which worked out in like in my case because I'll pick up a game. I don't like it initially. I'll come back to it like a couple months later, and now I end up appreciating it more. But if it was a streaming thing, if I gave it a shot and I canceled the streaming, 
I'm probably not going to come back and try that game again, but this one, it was sitting on my desk, so I ended up liking it. So, I mean... Yeah, that that's an interesting way you could you can consider it, like, old-school renting. Um, where, yeah, you can rent a game to try by paying that much. I mean, I, I, I don't want to speak for you guys, but, I mean, when I was working at Blockbuster Video, I had a Game Pass, and I loved it. I, th- I thought it was, like, the best thing ever. Oh, yeah, I think we all did, because, I mean... Yeah. It it saved you the most money. What was it like thirty bucks, and you could rent one game out at a time for as long as you wanted. Yeah, I mean it was it was phenomenal. I mean I had it for a while when I was in college, and just used it constantly because you know even back then I was getting priced out of like the video game hobby. Uh, even like I feel like it now, you know, sixty dollars for a game is way too much money, uh, and is not sustainable. And a lot of them suck. It's true. A lot of them do suck. You know, I don't um, expect a AAA title every single time, but I mean, I played through the entire PS3 launch library. It was like, what, maybe a dozen, two dozen games? And not all of them were good. <laughs> and if I were to break that down for like 60 bucks a piece, that's a lot of money wasted. Yeah, it's it's rough. So I, I definitely see myself using it. Um, you know, like I said, I, I don't care about like having games in my library so much. Because uh, I very rarely go and replay games, except with a few ex- exceptions. Um, so I could see using it if it works well um, and is more of a conglomeration of companies rather than just here's the EA games. Here's you know um, I'm trying to think of other big publishers, and none of them are coming to mind. Um, EA, right, so Warner Brothers, um, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, and so rather than doing it by publisher, maybe making it larger than that. Um, I mean, personally, I would love it if it was handled better by a third-party company, even. Um, kind of like a Netflix. Gamefly. Is, are they still around? <laughs> that would be the most logical choice, because you figure Netflix distributed movies. Gamefly does the same thing. Right. They don't stream, though, do they? I don't think it's possible. Yeah, um, yeah. If like if GameFly all of a sudden went streaming, uh, yeah, I would probably I would be super down for that. Or even if Steam started or uh, offering a streaming service or a steaming service, whatever they want to call it. <laughs> I know that's kind of the big upcoming thing that's gotten a lot of buzz is uh, the next generation of consoles having an option for like streaming games. Um, where pretty much they would have like a stream box type deal or something like that. Um, a lot of it's just kind of speculation at this point on how things are going to work or if they're going to do it that way. But I know also, uh, I think it's Microsoft, they're starting a new project uh, where pretty much you can like lease an Xbox or lease the, the device to own, uh, the same as if you were to do like your payment plan for your phone. Where pretty much you would say, I want the Xbox One S, you'll pay like your $30 a month, you'll get it immediately, and then you can continue playing it. If you turn it back in, you're responsible for whatever like the difference was. Um, or in the event that you want to keep it, you'll just continue paying it off. The same as it, like the AT&T Next or whatever the case is. Um, I know I was listening to one of the other casts I listened to uh, into the video game that covered this, I think, earlier this week about kind of doing the leasing system this way they can try to get younger gamers into it that might not necessarily have um 
like three hundred dollars or four hundred dollars or five hundred upfront, but they can probably come together with like thirty bucks a month from like summer jobs or things like that. So that combined with the the upcoming streaming services people want to do, it might be more lucrative to pay like fifty bucks a month, lease your Xbox, uh, get your game streaming for any of your games, and then not have to buy anything else every month. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if they can figure out a system that'll work, I'm totally down because that's the primary reason I don't play video games as much. It's just way too expensive of a hobby, unfortunately, to, to at the end of the day not really have anything. Yeah, I figure originally I, um, well, like 20 minutes ago I was against this whole streaming idea. I'm kind of on board with it now as long as I still have the option of purchasing like my full one if I want to. Uh, which I don't, I don't doubt that's ever going to go away. So I don't really have an issue with it there. Um, but I guess it's going to be one of those things that it's there if I want to use it. If not, I still have whatever I've been doing for the past twenty eight years or whatever it is. So it doesn't really matter to me. I don't know. Yeah, the way things are going, I think it might be going strictly digital. Well, even that, I don't entirely mind. I just don't like when they decide to change things. Um, because it's a digital copy. Like, I know I was playing Marvel Ultimate Alliance for a while back in college, uh, rather Ultimate Alliance 2, on Xbox 360, uh, and then they ended up having an issue where um, they had, like, a rights issue with Juggernaut or some of the other things, so they ended up just taking it out of your game. So because it wasn't on disc, I just couldn't get it anymore. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's that, that. That is kind of an unfortunate thing about digital. I mean, I get going digital. I mean, it, it costs a significant cost uh, from the production of it, which we would hope would get passed on to consumers. I know we haven't really seen that yet uh, yeah. with Steam releases, just because you're paying for the distribution platform, which ends up being kind of a similar situation. Um, but. Yeah, I, I mean, I prefer digital copies. I think at the end of the day, this whole streaming issue, as long as the streaming system that they put into place works well, I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, any of us would be for it or anyone in the hobby would be for it. Um, we just don't want to see kind of what we're starting to preview in the near future for how television has has been evolving as a streaming service, which originally started off being fantastic and free and just you know whatever you want doesn't make a difference with you know when hulu first came out where you have you know brand new tv coming out the next day no commercials no anything to now being a full page you go streaming service um as long as it can stay in kind of that more pure form i think it would be great for the hobby personally i agree no ads sick of that. yeah i can't even go on youtube anymore without seeing three ads for a one minute commercial uh, video Oh man, I know it, we're now super late. We're super late in the episode, but there's I have such a rant on on going into advertising and in, in games and movies. I'm gonna have to push it off to a topic for another day. Um, Write it down. I just I just want uh, if that's the case, I just want to end. As far as YouTube, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but um, a link got sent to me. Sarah sent me Zach Morris's trash, a YouTube uh, video. It's like two seasons where they go through all old Saved by the Bell episodes and point out every single reason why Zach Morris is a sociopath um, and why he's like a horrendous Saved by the Bell character. If you guys want to laugh, check it out at some point. 
Um, it's never worthy to actually put on like our show notes, but just check it out. Oh no, it's it's going on the show notes now. You mentioned it; it has to go in the show notes. <laughs> That's how this works. If we mention something that there, a link could be provided with about you know four to five minutes of research on my end, <laughs> it's going in the show notes. If it takes more than five minutes, forget it. I'm not doing it. But less than that. Um, but so I think that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Uh, a little bit longer of an episode, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, we will be back next Wednesday with an, with episode five of The Scream Lords. Um, if you can't wait for their next episode, you can also find us in many other formats. Uh, you can follow, follow our blog on thescreamingbrain.com. You can join our Facebook page at uh, the Screaming Brain Games or on Twitter at One Screaming Brain. Uh, oh, we're also on Instagram as The Screaming Brain. Uh, and on Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday every week at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we also are streaming board games on Twitch. Um, Tim, if anyone wants to keep up with what you're working on, how would they be able to reach you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Mr. Time. Uh, M-I-S-T-E-R, or you can find me on Twitter at MrTime0080. And Nick, if anyone wanted to get in contact with you, how would they do that? ZarNicholas1 at Instagram. Awesome. And um, I was... Oh, right. And if you have any questions uh, for us as a whole, you can also reach us at our email address, podcast at thescreamingbrain.com. Again, that's podcast at thescreamingbrain.com. Uh, also, if you happen to enjoy what you listened to today, make sure to go onto iTunes and give us a rating and leave a review so that uh, you can help others find the podcast as well. Um, so that has been it for the Scream Lords this week. I hope you uh, enjoyed listening. And I'd like to say just have a, have a nice night or day whenever you're listening. Uh, and we will see you all next week. Bye. Later, guys.